Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Lauren and RJ, the Frangie Show starts now on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Hey, welcome in, guys. Along for the ride with Hayes, Carly, and Lauren Brooks. RJ Saunders, I'm Frank Frangie. As we embark on a Friday, ooh, did we see a good basketball game last night? Was that any good? That was great. Uh, I will say I did not think JU was going to win for most of the game. And then all of a sudden, there came that turning point in the late in the second half when I went, are they really going to pull this out? And uh, sh- amazingly, they did. Hayes' son had uh, Pop Warner football, so you weren't able to watch. Yeah. But, but boy, Hayes, what a game. Well, what, I was going to – did it feel like it saved their season? Yeah. I mean, did it have that feel to it? Y- y- yes. I, you know, I don't – save the season can be a little dramatic, but where you're going with that is yes. Yeah, let me tell you what the way the game went. Yeah, like that's had, one you might point to later. Correct. You had to win that one. You had to win that one. You had to get going. First home game, first win. So, to Lauren's point, Queens dominated the first half. They kept them at 8, 10, 12, up by 11 at the half. Got up to as many as 14. With 11 minutes left. I mean, I mean, I mean, three quarters of the way through the game, Queens is up 14. One of the most bizarre games you'll ever see. So, Queens is up 14 with 10 to play. J.U., is up 10 with one minute to play. Like one minute, or maybe a minute and a half. Up 10 with a minute and a half to play. And then Queens, is a, at the end of the game, has a two-pointer. I thought they would take a three for the win. Queens has a shot to tie it. I mean, think about this. Down 14 with 11. Up 10 with a minute and a half. And you hold on to win. But it was a fantastic. They fought with, they played with toughness. They played with fight. Both teams did, really. Boy, does Queens play fast. They're one of the fastest teams you'll ever see. Remember, uh, Jordan yeah. Mincy told us that. So what a, what a fun night. And, and again, we, we did our show there. Typically, we all stay for the game. Hayes' his son uh, plays football, so he went to that. And uh, Lauren and I stayed for the game. It was a great crowd, I thought. It was. And I will say, Frank, Swisher Gymnasium, I felt like, was the reason J.U. was I able did too. to, I to did get too. back in that game. If I that was too. an away game, they lose by double that, digits. i tell you what. It's not a big place. It, it's 1,500 or whatever it is. But I'm going to tell you, it. Well, you've been tons of times. It rocks in there, so it was a, it was a really, 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 really fun. It was a fun watch, as you'll ever see. You know, as far as just watching the game. Yeah, Yasi Powell had I don't even know how many free throws in a row at the end, uh, and so certainly putting your free throws through the basket. Uh, pay attention, Florida Gators. That can help you win basketball games. So last week we're at UNF for the Rumble. UNF wins the Rumble against JU. Two, they battled back and forth, pulled away at the end. Hey, you and I were at that one. We're all, we're all at that one. Last night we're at JU. While JU has got this wonderful back and forth affair with Queens, it was a fun game to watch, UNF is dispatching Kennesaw. I'll tell you what, UNF's really good now. Uh, keep, an eye, keep an eye on UNF. I mean, UNF is 3-1 and one in the league. And I watched the entire game they lost at Stetson. And did y'all watch that at all? Did you watch that game? I did not. You, you probably, you, no. But I, I, the, the game UNF lost at Stetson, I'm telling you they outplayed them for 38 minutes. 
I'm, I'm telling. You, I watched the whole game. And Stetson's three and one in the and, league. And th- right, Stetson's three and one. It should should be two and two because UNF should have beat him. So I'm telling you, it was a, it was really a fun watch. And uh, I lo- I like the A Sun basketball. I, I have a fun time. I like both programs. I like both coaches. I like both ads. I like going to both campuses. It's really it's really fun for us. So uh, well, for people who want to watch some local basketball that didn't get out last night, uh, they have their chances this weekend yes. because UNF now plays host to Queens. That game tips off tomorrow at 5 p.m. at UNF Arena. And JU, obviously they switch. JU then plays host to Kennesaw State. That game tips off tomorrow at 3. So you really yeah, could go both, to both go if you to want both to. Them. Yeah, so Double dip. So, so, but, but a lot of fun with the, with the local basketball. So congratulations to both JU and UNF, uh, both winners last night. Really fun to go out and watch. All right, all kind of stuff to do. Big football weekend. Can't wait for that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. i got a portal thought or two. Bill O'Brien was hired by Ryan Day. Did you see this? Yeah, yes. Give me your take. See if it's the same as my take. I, I think it's ridiculous. Bill O'Brien is not a good guy to bring into your culture when you're – desperate is, is a tough word because Ohio State wins so much. But I hear But they ya, just feel I desperate I, because it, of Michigan. And, yes, I mean, yes, so yes. it's like – Isn't it ridiculous? That's a perfect word, and it's also – ridiculous that they're desperate right but it feels that it does and, and it does I think this is you know gasoline on a fire yeah. I do not think it's going to go well for Ryan Day or Bill O'Brien don't you sense that now I don't know if it was Ross Bjork who just got the the AD job but don't you feel like somebody told Ryan Day uh, here's my take and we'll talk more about this later in some college stuff but uh, here's what I think Michigan is beating Ohio State by being NFL-ish yes they're, they're, they're NFL-ish. That's how they play. Big physical offensive line, NFL offense, a guy to coach in the NFL. And Ohio State's very good, but they're not NFL-ish. Ohio State's the ultimate college team. I think someone told Ryan Day, go be more NFL-ish. Now, that sounds simple and silly, and it's not that simple. I think it but, is that simple. But you get the point, <laughs> right? And that's what happened. Go be NFL-ish yeah. with an NFL-type thinker, and that's what they did. Because Ohio State is wondering, how did this happen? I mean, we owned Michigan, and we still recruit at a higher level. We've got we're, – we're wide receiver you. How is this happening? And it's happening because Michigan got much better in the trenches on both sides and has just bullied them the last three years. So I, I absolutely think it's a reaction to it. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh had success in the NFL prior to – Going to Michigan, he's now won a national title with that method, and he's the apple of the NFL's eye again. I I don't think, I don't think there's any way that that anybody could say that that this doesn't have anything that has nothing to do with Michigan's success. But getting Bill O'Brien is absolutely Ohio State's I think feeble attempt at a counterpunch. But outside of the bad personality, I think he's a pretty good coach. So that's where I wonder if he is able to help because Ryan Day's offense. I mean, they had C.J. Stroud, and they didn't win the national championship, even though they got close. But I, they've got a ton of players returning. I wonder if he helps. Yeah. And I yeah. think he does help. Yeah. Well, I think he's a good coach. He's a hard guy now. Did you see the – Hard guy. I, I apologize because I don't remember the reporter that tweeted it out, and I'd love to give them credit for this. Uh, but uh, last night when this broke, uh, a reporter looked up that Bill O'Brien worked for, like, six years under Belichick and, like, three years under Saban. And does not have a Super Bowl or national championship ring. How about that? <laughs> that that is not tough. good. Yeah, and, and I will tell you, I guess I'm I hope I'm not talking out of turn. I don't care if I am or not. I don't care about Bill O'Brien I'm, either way. But I'm told by people in that building, he was terrible to coach. In Houston. In Houston. Yeah. When, when, when he when he was when he was the 
head coach of the Texans and people that worked for them just said it was a really hard, hard. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, he's a good football guy. There's no, there's no denying that. So he certainly guy's a good football guy. So we'll talk a little bit about that. I got a th- thought or two about Bill Belichick I want to get to, Mike McCarthy. A lot of coaching stuff. Really want to start with these games. What a fun weekend of games. We'll certainly talk about that. Some college hoops as well. Snow football. You like snow football? I like snow football. I do too. Do you like snow football? Particularly if I'm in Florida I was watching say, as long it on as my I'm TV. Not a part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> as long as you're in 72 degrees, then it's fine. Yeah, watching it. I like snow football. I wish we had more snow football. We ought I to have. Too. We ought to have like a February, uh, Canada North America football league where everything you got you can't play unless it's snowing. I like it. Yeah. The 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 poor elements in the playoffs that that doesn't bother me. Never has and, and never will. I I understand those markets if they want to build a dome you know I get why like the Vikings would would want that uh the Lions but I also admire the clubs that say no we're going to play in the elements and we're going to build our team around that knowing that if we're good you know we're going to be hosting games that could potentially be played in really poor elements so I I like that part of football I'm I'm really glad I don't have to cover it (laughs) but uh but I, I like as a fan watching it do you wish that every stadium was outdoors? There that there were no domes. No, I don't mind domes. I mean, I again, I I don't love domes. I don't. I don't know that I wish every they all had to be outdoors. I don't like. Yeah. I don't like. I don't love dome football. Really, I like outdoor football. Yeah. It doesn't bother me either way. But I, I, if I was, if I was building a stadium in Florida, it would probably be open with kind of what the Jaguars are that that cover, mm-hmm. so that you get at least some protection from uh, the heat and the sun. But. Uh, but yeah, I I I don't know that I'd go full dome, but I probably would if I owned a team that was up north, uh, you know, just <laughs> for my own benefit. <laughs> but uh, but I understand it. Dome football doesn't bother me. Well, what's funny to me is last weekend I saw a story like Taylor Swift wears you know custom Travis Kelsey jacket or whatever as she braves the elements for the game. I'm like. She's in a suite. She's in an enclosed right, right, suite. Point. She's not braving any of the elements, she's, people. She's braving the elements of 72. <laughs> right. 72 like, degrees. Let's be honest. There's no question about it. All right, so we're going to talk a, lot about, a little bit about that. i got a lot of stuff on the top, some college basketball. Up. But let's start with a big weekend in, in the NFL. Four fantastic games. Let's break them down. Who you're rooting for? Who do you expect will win? What are the storylines? What, what would surprise you the most this weekend? What do you want to see happen gigantic weekend in the National Football League. That's how we'll kick off the program on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. (laughs) Back to more of Big Chief Tire Friday on The Frangie Show. Family owned since 1961. It's Big Chief Tire. You're telling me it's already a Friday. I've already got all kind of football. I'm locked in on a beautiful day today. And I got Simon LeBond and the boys to kick this thing <laughs> off. Do. Like my day wasn't good yeah. enough already. And the greatest video arguably uh, ever made. Um, so let me ask you. Well, let me tell you. Hang on, I'm just going to listen to the floor. That's it, drop everything. Okay. So you like this video better than Rio? You I do. I mean, I. But Rio's a great video. I mean, they're both. Fan, both fantastic. Yeah. Um, when I was a little kid, my goal was my goal in life was to pitch in the big leagues, and I had everything I needed. I should have made it. I had everything but the talent, as I've said before. <laughs> but I wanted to pitch in the big leagues. My goal was to pitch in the big leagues. I, I, was, I was a little kid. I wanted to pitch in the big leagues. Until I was 13 or 14, I figured that was going to happen. About then, I figured it probably wasn't. 
Okay. By the time I'm 15 or 16, you know, things happen. I wasn't going to pitch in the big leagues. My goal was to be a writer for Sports Illustrated. That was my goal. My goal was to one, if I couldn't pitch in the big leagues, and that wasn't going to happen, I wanted to one day write for Sports Illustrated. Now, as luck would have, it turns out I wasn't talented enough for that either. But it was my goal. There, it was the gold standard of journalism and really the gold standard of writing in my life. I mean, I, I can't. It was the writers who came through there. Rick Riley, I thought, was the greatest. But Lee Montfeld and Frank DeFord and Curry Kirkpatrick before him were the greatest writers um, that I had ever read in my life. And I was someone that pursued writing as a, as a vocation. Hard to believe. And it's and it's tumbled and tumbled and tumbled since. But it's hard to believe that today kind of represents the end of that era, doesn't it? It is incredible. And, and I agree. I mean, when I was a kid, it was still the dominant brand in, in sports. I remember when I got my first Sports Illustrated in the mail. It was 1985. I was nine years old. And the Kansas City Royals had just defeated the Cardinals in the World Series. And I just remember getting it and the headline was a royal crown and I was so young I don't I don't think at that point I understood the exuberance that comes with winning a championship and the cover is just this spectacular I'm not a Royals fan at all so it doesn't have any sentimental value to me but to see that the the shot of the cover was the players converging on the mound after the final out and to see the faces of these men and the joy on their face as a, as a nine-year-old, it was captivating. And I, I will always remember that. And, uh, and then obviously, you know, stories like the Lynn Bias uh, tragedy and, and Death of a Dream was such a powerful cover uh, after Lynn Bias, this fantastic basketball player, passed away after uh, just about a week after being selected in the first round by the Celtics. I mean, just so many... Yeah. Moments, obviously, being a Gators fan, all the covers of uh, that that you know that they were on, going right. all the way back to uh, you know beating Auburn before they lost to Georgia when uh, you know when I was really little, but then the covers, the commemorative covers, you know Chris Leak and Noah and and Brewer and and all those Tebow, all those great teams. Uh, it's just uh, it's 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 really sad. So the the writing. I feel is, you know, like you do, Frank, because that's, you know, how that's, you know, what we do. But the photography and the design, which I have absolutely zero ability to do at all, they, it was just masterful, the, the, the design, the presentation of it. And so it was just, uh, it was a work of art. Uh, and it's, it's sad that we're not going to have it anymore. Yeah, it seems crazy if I had told you guys 20 years ago, Sports Illustrated, the magazine, won't exist once we hit like 2024. You'd be like, well, that's not possible because it's the most famous sports entity and magazine in the world. So, of course, they'll adapt and change. And it's just unfortunate because now really no one buys magazines. Everything's on the Internet. I think the first cover that I remember would have been the Dream Team in 1992. Mm -hmm. I remember that cover, yeah. Did you read it growing up? Did you read Sports Illustrated? I didn't read it. I looked through pictures. Yeah, 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 it, which was fantastic to Hayes' point, too. I, 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 I mean, I I couldn't wait. I mean, Curry Kirkpatrick, I thought Rick Riley was the best ever, even though he came along later. Right. Frank DeFord and Curry Kirkpatrick and Lee Montville and some of the, I mean, some of the great, um, Grant Wall. I mean, they, they, mm -hmm. they, it was a great writer, Grant, Grant Wall. I mean, it was really, 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 I mean, great, great writing. And and again the the photography, 
I mean, the the shots that they would get at like the Kentucky Derby, and I mean, just the it, it was it was incredible. It was uh, it it was it was fantastic, and it's a uh, unfortunately it's a part of a uh, Americana that is gone. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, the, the great Sports Illustrated. Um, I can remember covers that stand out to me. My favorite. There was a cover with when I was with Terry Bradshaw and Willie Stargell both on it together. Remember that one? You've probably seen that one, mm-hmm. haven't you? The, the Stargell and Stargell and Bradshaw on it together. I think one of my favorite cover stories was in 1995. You probably know this story. Florida played Tennessee, and I don't remember who oh, wrote yeah. the story. It was it uh, who who's the who who did all the college football? Tom, not Tom. Who was the college football writer back then? Oof. Anyway, whoever whoever I wonder, was it one anyway it wasn't Tom Verducci's baseball Tom's yeah anyway somebody did somebody whoever, was it Austin Murphy at that point maybe that's what I thought about I kept thinking it was a Tom something whoever it was it might have been Austin Murphy so so anyway so in '95 the that's when Peyton Manning was the greatest thing ever he came, he got to Tennessee at uh, he got to Tennessee in '94 played as a freshman Todd Helton started the season then Manning took over the job. And then by 95, everybody was Manning, Manning, Manning. Sophomore quarterback, sophomore quarterback. They came to Gainesville, and and they were supposed to win. And Sports Illustrated was going to write a Peyton Manning cover story. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. The, the, the cover story was going to be Peyton Manning. And, and all about Peyton in the story and Archie's son and the recruitment and this and that. And he was going to beat Florida. And they got off to, they got off to a 30-14 to 14 lead over Florida. And they were going to write this story about Peyton Manning. Except Florida scored 48 in a row. In that game, went on to win sixty-two to thirty-seven. Sports Illustrated. The story goes: whoever the the planner was, the editor, they said, "What do we do? We we're going to write a Peyton Manning story." They just lost sixty-two to thirty-seven. Danny Werfel on the cover. Do you remember the cover? Attack of the Gators. The Attack of the Gators. That, that was Danny Werfel on the cover was never supposed to happen. Danny Werfel was never supposed to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated in nineteen ninety-five. It was supposed to be Peyton Manning. And sixty-two to thirty-seven attack of the game. I love that one. That That's is. probably my favorite Sports Illustrated cover story. It was, it was awesome. I've been trying to figure out who the writer was, but I can't seem to find it. Tim Layton. Tim That's it. Thank, yeah. thank you, RJ. See? Tim. I said Tom. It was Tim. Nice work, RJ. It was yeah. Tim Layton. Tim. It was. It was. I say Tom. It was Tim Layton. He was the college football guy. Uh, thank you, RJ. That's exactly who it was. The so, Brandy Chastain covers is one of the more iconic, oh, that's a, yeah, obviously, yeah. because of what she did. Like it was what she did as far as ripping her shirt off and, and going yeah. to her knees, like sliding. I don't know that any woman had ever done that before. Yeah, and and I'm and I'm by the way old enough to remember when the swimsuit issue was a regular issue. Do you remember? Are you old enough to remember? I don't. That? It was pretty special yeah, when okay. in the 1980s. Yeah. Well, well, it was it was special, but it was not that there was a swimsuit. Cover someone's on, Cheryl Teagues or right. Christy Brinkler on the cover, but then it was a regular. It was that week Sports Illustrated. It, oh it, well, that I remember. Okay. And then it was like, yeah. th- and then like yeah. half the magazine Correct. was the right. swimsuit. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. then they realized it wasn't its own issue. You remember that, right? I do remember. It, it that. They realized actually people enjoy the pictures of the women in bikinis well, more, so we're going to make an entire right but edition. It, but it wasn't at the time. It was. It was that was again. You saw. You couldn't wait for it to come out. Trust me. I, <laughs> well. I, don't get me wrong. But then, but then you had this, the the college basketball stories or whatever stories were in there. Mm-hmm. They did a fantastic job with college basketball. That's oh, where yeah. I first started reading Curry Kirkpatrick. I remember the polls. Like how I I always wanted to know where the Sports Illustrated writers had, you know, in college basketball. How the polls lined up. I mean, that, I mean, that was stuff that yeah. I, I I couldn't wait to get it. Uh, what day did it come? Wednesdays? Thursdays. Thursdays. Yeah, I always had I always had it on Thursday. And you did you subscribe? Oh yeah. yeah we we got it at that. I mean, I couldn't wait to get it. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I I. I 
and that and listen, I understand in the dig, the digital age has changed the world, has changed the way we consume information, has changed the way we look at information, has changed the way journalists uh, distribute information, and it leaves us with a lot of uh, old get-off-my-lawn guys remembering and uh, romantically how it used to be. I understand that. And look, I, I, I now consume my information the same way everybody else does, digitally. But that still doesn't mean there's not a bit of sadness uh, that the romance of the way it was is gone. I, 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 I love Sports Illustrated. I loved reading it. I, I loved, uh, again, my love for sports is the two most important um, sports media properties, I think, in all of our lifetime are Sports Illustrated and ESPN. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, in our lifetime, the two most important sports media entities ever are, are Sports Illustrated and ESPN, and I don't think there's a close third in my mind. Yeah, I don't think there is. Now, though, you've got the NFL having NFL Network, and so I feel like they've taken a, over a huge domain in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the, the individual, no question, the, indi- the individual networks, I mean, MLB Network, um, NFL Network, I agree with that. Don't kid yourself, by the way. Nobody likes it because the conservatives think they're too liberal and the old school guys think they're too, uh, they try to go too young. And everyone, don't kid yourself. The Entertainment and Sports Programming Network is still the king of sports media. There's, there's still the king. Fox is trying. Other entities are trying. The, the individual networks might even be better. Rick Ballou and I used to have this talk. We did the show together. He said it's hard for him to watch ESPN anymore because he thinks the MLB network is so much better and NFL network is so much better. And it might be at those specific sports. But ESPN is still the king, the, uh, the, the un, un, without question king. Yeah, with, without a doubt. And, and again, Sports Illustrated, that era, that, that I don't even know how I got the subscription. I don't know if maybe it was a gift or maybe I asked for it. I, I can't remember how I, how I got the subscription, but it absolutely changed my life because, you know, I would watch like college football with my dad and my dad was a big Jack Nicholas fan. So, you know, we I'd watch like that. But, you know, there was a lot of sports my dad wasn't overly into. And I mean, Sports Illustrated just immediately made me a fan of everything, and I just, I just absorbed every issue. And so it's it, it is it is hard to believe that that that's gone. Like, how will kids grow up wanting to be sports writers without there being a Sports Illustrated? And that there is, Lauren. There is so much truth to how can kids ever grow up and want to be sports writers again when there's so few jobs, when there's so few entities. I, I, it's a, it, I, I've told you this before. One of our, one of our, one of my, you, you guys know Bobby, my really good buddy, my neighbor. His son is a sports writer. Uh, Bryant is probably, gosh, I don't know, probably late twenties now. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting, get, he's twenty seven, twenty eight. He's interned here. Uh, he's a wonderful sports, wonderful young sports writer. But he's had a heck of a time because it's hard to find the job, and it really is. That's the thing, you know, in 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 Sports Illustrated's heyday. You know, again, this is before the internet. This is before ESPN was the phenomenon that it is now. ESPN existed in when I was a kid, but it was basically like workout shows, bowling, professional wrestling throughout the day. I mean, it wasn't what it is now, where it's you know very show centric and uh, and incredibly popular. So, I mean, it, it just. It just it's it. I don't think it, it's you're ever going to see anything like it again. It's just and particularly for sports writers. Like the other thing too is now 
every team has its media team and and to your point leagues have their own channels and that just didn't exist in in the 80s so it was it was uh it was such a great outlet for for sports journalism it does feel like if you want to work in sports multimedia has to be more of the passion and pursuit than writing well and and by the way yeah because people want to there's still good writing out there but it's on the it's in the athletic and it was on the national before that shut down and it was on it, it, it was it was other places so uh but but they're still good right anyway sports illustrated uh, dead and gone it would appear and that's a very sad day let's talk nfl football games uh coming up after this stay with us the frangie show live from the hastings injury law firm studios on 1010 xl hit back with hastings now back to a big chief tire friday on the frangie show big chief tire visit bigchiefservice.com have either of you ever blessed the rains? Oh, I bless the rains all the time. We talk about it all the time. You curse the rains. Yeah, yeah, you hate rains. But sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I'll just be walking down the street and bless the rains. I mean, I mean, I'm bored. And I'm then say music. portal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then say portal. I mean, you you want to have a good day, have good music, good weather, and go bless the rain. I mean, you bless the rain. Pretty awesome. Now, once upon a time, Hayes Carlion used to do a rain dance, so you were blessing the rains when I was. they came. He Absolutely. actually did. He actually did. Yeah. I remember, I remember those days? My I lawn do. Needs, my lawn needs grass. My The my blades water. of the grass were, like, <laughs> shriveling <laughs> up. <laughs> my, lawn, my yard needs grass. What's water. That? Yeah. The yard needs water because it was going through the summer Here, heat. Here's, here's the thing. Do you still mow your lawn? No. Of course not. Welcome to my world, yeah. okay? Now you can give a damn, right? That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't matter now. That's but right. Then, so there you go. I mean, that rain was saving me like $40 a pop right. when I had to turn those zones on for an hour. Get a well. That's how you avoid that. All right, we've got some playoff football this weekend in the National Football League. I've got one question for each team that I need you gentlemen to answer. One question for all the eight teams? All the eight teams. Right. I like it. Let's see how you how you answer each of for each of these teams. We will start with the Buffalo Bills. Can they survive more injuries on defense? We already know that Matt Milano against the Jaguars and the linebacker went out. Well, then his replacement last week, Terrell Bernard, went out with what looks like to be a season-ending injury with an ankle injury. And so they're now on their third-string middle linebacker, Hayes. Can they survive in more injuries on defense? They cannot, and I don't think they're going to survive this round. I, I think the Chiefs go in there and get a win. I think it's going to be uh, a thriller, and, and I think it'll come down to the final possession. But I think, I think Kansas City gets it done. Buckner, it's a walk-off. Uh, so I think it's going to be an instant classic, but – I, I do think that Buffalo's uh, you know defensive attrition is going to hurt them in this game, and I think Mahomes is going to take advantage of it. Well, who do you think wins the game, Lauren? I think somehow, some way, the Bills, only because of the things we've talked about. Mahomes never played a road playoff game, and he's never played at Buffalo with the fans there. The only time he's ever played at Buffalo was 2020. There were no fans. So I'm not sure that he's going to be – plus the team hasn't been as yeah. good all season. So I'm going to say the Bills. What's the line? Two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. Bill, Bill's, Bill's give, two and a half. Bill's given two and a half. I think most people you talk to think the Bills are going to win like you do. I think I'm with Hayes. I think the Chiefs are going to win that game just because they're the freaking Chiefs. Sure. So sometimes you think someone, even if you wind up being wrong, sometimes you think someone's going to win because they're the fill-in-the-blank team. And, right. and I think that's kind of who they are. To your question, they can't survive many more injuries. I, I think the Bills have, the Bills have overcome the, the loss of very good defensive players. So they can't survive many more to your, to your specific question. I think the Chiefs are going to win, too. 
All right. Uh, that would be interesting to see if we still were doing the picks. Yeah. Uh, RJ, which way would you go, Bills or Chiefs? You know what? I'd have to go with the Bills on this one. All right. Okay. Yeah, so we'd, 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 be right, we'd be right down the middle. That we would. All right, let's get it to the Detroit Lions. How long will the clean pockets last? Goff is a really good quarterback with a clean pocket, like many quarterbacks, but he is more affected, obviously, when there's pressure and obviously – uh, when it came to the or when it comes to the Bucks this upcoming weekend, they are going to pressure like crazy. The Bucks are probably going to win because that's the game I'm most convinced of that I think the Lions are going to win. That, that's, <laughs> really? That, yeah, You're I, convinced? I, I, well, I'm not convinced in any of them. Oh, okay. But the closest I am, the 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 if you ask me to pick four get four winners, of the four winners I would pick, the one I would feel best about are the Lions. Of the four I would pick, that's interesting. Really? Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, surprised they'd be by that. For me, yeah. Well, the Niners first. I'd go Niners, yeah. then Ravens, then Lions. See, see Ra- then boy, Ravens, Chiefs. I am not sure. The Ravens, I do not feel good about. I, I, I think the Lions are going to win. But back to your question, yeah, the Bucks can get after the passer. The Bucks, can, the, the Bucks can get after the passer. So, yeah, to your specific question, can the Lions pass rush, pass protection hold up? The big part of that game. It is, and I, you know, it certainly helps that they'll be at home. You know, from an operational standpoint, I think Gibbs is going to have a sensational day. Uh, Laporta, Detroit really dodged a bullet with him not suffering a, a, a an injury that was going to keep him out. So I, I do think Goff gets it done. That that game I think could be a little lower scoring than maybe what people are, are expecting. But I I like the Lions to come out of that game. I think a gritty game, a close game, another really good game. Uh, but I I think Detroit gets it done late, and I think Goff's the reason why. For some unknown reason, I feel like the Bucks are riding this magical wave, and well, they are. And the Lions got fairly lucky to beat the Rams, and I mean, the Bucks certainly weren't afraid of the Eagles uh, coming to their house. I f- I just feel like, and maybe it's because the Lions and the Jaguars are so similar that you get your hopes up, and then your hopes and dreams come crashing down, uh, as it did for the Jaguars last year. But again, the the Lions are home, which is an advantage. San Francisco 49ers, can they live up to the hype? Obviously, the hype for them is winning the Super Bowl. That's yes. That That, that is a yes for me. They're gonna, and I, I said that I'm convinced the Lions. I'm convinced the Niners. I guess I'm convinced on both NFC games. Yes, I think, the, I, think the, I think the Niners not only are very good, but they're very good when it really matters. This one really matters. They might have won last year if Purdy didn't get hurt. You know, So they, they, they're, I, I, I think they are, yes, I think they live up to it with, with, with ease in my mind. I think they do as well. They're just so versatile offensively. I, I just I don't know how Green Bay is going to combat all of that. And I, I think if, if for Green Bay to win this game, for me, it's going to have to be like a 38-35 shootout kind of game where maybe Jordan Love stays incendiarily hot and is able to just produce an, another outstanding effort. But I, I think San Francisco is just – what do you what, – I mean, obviously you, you focus on McCaffrey – but they just have so much talent around Brock Purdy that, to me, and that's not a knock on him. He's a good player, but and he's incredibly bright. But I, I just don't know how you stop him. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, for the Houston Texans, can the defense hold up? They've been a bit more vulnerable through the air. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure it can. And I think, and I think the Ravens throw the ball better than people think. His per- completion percentage is at an all-time high. They're getting Mark Andrews back. Uh, Zay Flowers has really emerged, and again, I, I think I think Lamar Jackson is a really, really complete player, man. So yeah, no, I think that I think that game could have some points in it, Hayes. I do. I think it could as well. That's the game to me that feels the most like it could be. 
I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I, I like the Ravens to win, but I actually think the Texans probably cover the nine and a half. But I think so but if you're asking, not that you are, but it like what game has the potential, in my opinion, to be the route game? This is that game because the Ravens' defense is unbelievable, and as great as C.J. Stroud is, I think to go on the road and and play in those elements in Baltimore and have your way with that Baltimore defense, and I, I don't, I, and some of that's not even on C.J. Stroud. I think they're going to have issues protecting him. Uh, Baltimore's linebackers are so incredibly good, so. To me, that game has the most feel of a 34-10 kind of game. Uh, so I I think it's it's going to be interesting to see Ryans and Stroud, how they're able to handle this. But I, I think I agree with Frank. I think Lamar's played great. Todd Monken's done a great job of really good getting job. him comfortable throwing it. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Lamar deserves a lot of credit. Uh, and so there'll be a ton of pressure on him. So I almost think it it probably goes one of either they lose or they play so well maybe Houston scores late to cover a sort of a backdoor cover there but uh, to me it almost feels like the Ravens are going to either convincingly win or they're going to lose like I don't see Baltimore winning a close game because if it's close I think they're going to choke. It's funny because I thought the Browns defense was really good and the way that the Texans played against them granted completely different conditions as far as weather is concerned. They played so well. I mean, putting up what 48. So that's where I'm like I think this one is going to be super close. I won't be surprised if the Texans somehow some way find a way to win. You both pretty much answered the question about Lamar, can he get over the hump? Obviously everyone knows his 1 in 3 record as a playoff starter. Uh, when it comes to the Chiefs, will they stay committed to the run is the question. The Chiefs are 8 and 2 when Rasheed Rice gets uh, going – no, he's a wide receiver. When someone, I don't have who, uh, gets at least 15 carries. Yeah, I don't see the Chiefs – Hayes, jump in here because you may disagree. Would be Pacheco. Yeah, yeah. I don't see the Chiefs having a concern with balance. I think Andy Reid's got that part figured out. I, 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 I think – I don't worry about, well, the Chiefs lost, but they didn't stay committed to the run long enough. The, Andy Reid – this cat's done this a long time. I think if the Chiefs lose to the Bills, who are very good, they just got outplayed. They got outphysicaled. That they 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 couldn't keep up. But I I, th- I think the Chiefs run. I think I think of all the teams you watch play, and of course Andy Reid's as good as it gets, and so is Mahomes. But Hayes, I think they are as good at. There's as few times as I can ever remember think, thinking, why don't they start running more? Why don't they pass more? Why did you run on that play? I think that less when I watch a Chiefs game. Than almost anybody I watch. You feel that way? I, I do feel that way. And and again, I, I think it goes with the chemistry that Mahomes and Reed have together. And I mean, you're now talking several years. They've uh, obviously won the Lombardi multiple times together. So there's uh, an incredible amount of trust. And uh, as there should be. So I, I, I mean, in, it, to me, if, if Kansas City loses, it'll be because their receivers really let them down. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to have to score 34 to win this game because Kansas City's defense has been really, really good this year. I, they haven't even allowed a team to score more than 27 uh, all season. And so in, in looking at it, I think Kansas City offensively can be patient knowing our defense is going to keep us in this. So just let's, let's figure it out. Let's see what Buffalo's doing. And then we'll make our corrections, and uh, we'll get going on the scoreboard. So, I, 
my guess is Kansas City is, is we're we're probably sitting there at the end of this week and going the Chiefs they just they get into the tournament and they're just a really really tough out and it will be an incredible environment in Buffalo but I I think Kansas City's going to find a way. If Josh Allen and the Bills lose because of one of his turnovers, I feel like the story around him yeah. is similar to the story around Dak Prescott. You know what? That's that's you're right. That doesn't seem right because it seems like he's been up, down, up, down. But he's one of those guys that people can't wait to say, see, I told you he wasn't very good. Don't you think? Yeah, because he, they see careless with the football. Yeah, yeah. They Even though he's a lot of times just trying to do anything and everything he can to help his team. I'll tell you what, if I was watching, just watching games, he might be as fun to watch as any of them. He, I mean, even Mahomes, as far as fun to watch. But you're right, Lauren. If he – if he throws three picks, well, I told you it wasn't any good. Mm-hmm. I thought he's just like Dak. It People are going to tweet Prisco. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly right. So. Josh Allen ran for 15 touchdowns in the regular season. Well, well, and, and then the, obviously had the big one yeah. against Pittsburgh. Well, I mean, the, well, the touchdown run against the Steelers, how fast was he oh. going? I mean, he looked like a he looked like a fast wide receiver, didn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my goodness. He but the, the turnovers are an issue. He threw 18 interceptions. And so – That'll be fine. I think Josh Allen will play pretty well. I, I don't think the Bills will lose because of him. I I just think it'll be that – I think the Chiefs' defense is good. I just think they're going to uh, win the majority of the third down battles and get them off the field. All right, final two questions. One for the Packers. We've kind of talked about this. How far can the youth movement go? You're facing a team that's so incredibly experienced in the 49ers. To me, if there's a route, it's the 49ers. And then finally, Tampa Bay Bucks. Can they tighten up in opposing territory? Kind of crazy to think, but – the Bucks should have beaten the Eagles by more than they did. Mayfield took a couple of sacks that pushed the Bucks out of field goal range and also some drops, as we saw throughout the first half, uh, caused them to not score in certain times. Yeah, I think uh, the I, I think the Lions are going to – I don't think that's going to be a close game. What's the line? What's the number there? That was, six. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think the Lions cover that. I, I yeah, think the Lions six and a half, that. I think. Yeah. The Packers, I don't think their youth can hold up. Lauren, to your question, Hayes, jump in here. But I think that's okay. I think, I think they – of all of you talk about playing with house money, there's more house there's more house money in Green Bay than anywhere. It'd be great to beat the 49ers. And Houston. Yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah, Houston, yeah. but even more in Green Bay. Because Houston started Yeah, because Houston started coming around. You're right. They're they're both gonna feel good afterwards. Yeah. But Green Bay, I mean, you you about mid season on, you started sensing that Houston might be able to do this. Green Bay it was later than that. Right. Green, Green Bay, so first yeah. number seven seed ever to win. Yeah, well, that's right. So, so I, I, because they hadn't been there for very long, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, I no, I, I think Green Bay doesn't have much of a chance to beat the 49ers, and I almost think that's okay. I, I would agree. Uh, Green Bay doesn't need to to win uh, to validate their season. Uh, Lafleur deserves a lot of credit um, for having this, you know, run where they've won seven of their last eight. It's really interesting. Just again, looking at their numbers, they don't have a rusher they went over 656 yards they don't have a receiver that went over 793 mm-hmm. I mean those are really low numbers to be your your leaders but they have figured it out and Jordan Love's done a nice job spreading the ball around and uh you know and and LaFleur's done a nice job of of getting the offense going again without Aaron Rodgers more NFL talk coming up my friend Pete Prisco joins us right after this big weekend for Pete we'll talk about it after this the Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Time for all things Jaguars and NFL with Pete Prisco. The Prisco Report, presented by Showtime Sports Cards and Collectibles. Showtime. On the Frangie Show. 
Petrisco is here to talk a little NFL with us. It is brought to you by Showtime. Don't forget, now, tomorrow's the monthly in-card show, uh, in-store, I'm sorry, in-store card show from 9 to 4. They do that once a month, and they do a fantastic job. All kind of great vendors, all kind of great items. Head to Showtime again. The card shows are fantastic. They go on all day long on Saturdays, once a month. Showtime, of course, is located at the corner of Phillips and Chad. You can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Pete, big weekend. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you guys? We are doing fantastic, man. Hey, all kind of things to talk about as we get set for this weekend. But let me start with the Jaguars. Are you hearing anything about defensive coordinator? Um, is there any direction you think they should go with regard to that, Pete? Well, look, there's a lot of guys being interviewed, and I think there's a lot of good candidates out there. Um, you know, you, you got to be careful. Like, I mean, I think Wink Martindale's is a really good defensive coordinator. But do they have the people that can play what he wants to do? And so how how do you go out and revamp your defensive roster if you do want to play that way? Because, uh, you know, he wants to blitz and play man coverage, and they don't have those guys. And so I think you got to be careful with who you bring in, or you're going to have to just make a real concerted effort to change the way you play. Who would you like to see the hire be? Yeah, I think Wink Martindale's really good. He, I mean, don't get me wrong. He rubs some people the wrong way. He's an abrasive guy, and he, he can be a pain in the butt for players and even guys on the staff. But he's a really good coordinator. And I think that's the way you need to play nowadays. I think you have to be aggressive. You have to go after the quarterback. You have to be in attack defense, dictate tempo, change up how you do things. And so I think he'd be really good. What do you, what do you guys think? I mean, who do you guys think? I, I've said all along, I don't know enough about the specifics, but I want a guy like that. Yeah, a guy. A, if Schwartz or Spagnuolo were available, Pete, I'd want a guy like that. Wink is available. A guy that's done it a lot. You know what I mean? To your point, I'd like to see them get a guy that is that has been that has called plays and called defenses for a long time in the NFL. I think that's what. I, which is, I kind of think what you're saying. But you know, and the other thing is, is you know, what happens with the rest of the you know the, the staff is is the co- offensive coordinator safe? Because you hear rumblings that. People in the building aren't necessarily on board with that. Yeah. So um, I, I, I got to believe if something was happening there, it would have happened, Pete. I agree, too. Uh, but, I mean, Doug but, was very swift in making the changes with his defensive staff. I think all the people that are going out the door have already gone out the door. I, I think. What do you What do you think about the rift that supposedly is between the, the front office and, and, and the coaching staff on that offensive system? I th- it exists. Yeah. yeah of think, course. Yeah. I, I, I think. I think more than anything else, I think typically general managers, when teams start to fade, are angry with the way the coach coached them, right? Isn't that pretty standard, you know? So I, so I, I don't know enough about the, the specific details of it, Pete. But yeah, I think typically general managers and, and coaches are on the same page when everybody's winning and not as much on the same page when, when the losing starts. That's what I think. But, I, but I'd like to see a veteran guy. And by the way, to your point about the other parts of the staff, don't you think the don't you think part of the blowing up the entire staff, not just the coordinator, is to let the new guy fill out his staff for the most part? Absolutely, and and that's the way it should be. You, you know, yeah, there might be somebody you liked, but but you want your own people. I mean, that that's basically what you want. You want to coach your own guys. You want to be able to, you know. And again, you know, let's be real here. Doug's in a position where he's going to have to win next year. I think. Uh, and win, and win, by that I mean get to the postseason and win a playoff game or two. And, and so I think that puts more pressure on him to get the right guy in there. And so, but to get the right guy, if you're that right guy, are you sitting there saying, well, if they don't win, 
uh, am I in trouble again? Or if they do win, am I going to be able to take this and, and use it as a springboard to go somewhere else, maybe be a head coach? I think there's a lot of possibilities at play there. Because, I, I mean, you know, after the way things collapsed this year, that's a pressure year for that staff next year. It certainly is. Pete, as far as Jaguars, Josh Allen, does he get a long-term deal, franchise tag? What do you think happens with him? I think they'll get him a long-term deal. Uh, I, I do. And, and look, they got an easy way to clean out a bunch of cap. We know that. We've gone through it a bunch. I mean, you know, Fotokasi, Rayshon Jenkins, Sheriff, you want to get rid of him. I mean, you can go on and on. They, they can get rid of guys to create cap room. And I think Josh Allen is a building block for whoever wants to come in there and build that defense. And, if, you know, if you have guys who can pressure the quarterback, I think, you know, in this league, you have to have that. So I, I can't imagine in any way, shape, or form they let him get out the door, A, and then B, uh, I think, you know, ideally you'd like to get that long-term deal done before – uh, you have to put the tag on them. All right, let's get to some games. Um, big weekend of games. Let's start with the first one. Look, I think the Ravens are really good. I think Lamar Jackson's playing better than anybody. But I think the Texans are going to be right there. I think that one's coming down to the fourth quarter. I think the Texans have found something there, Pete. It's prob- probably one of the games I'm most interested in watching. Obviously, the Chiefs-Bill is the, mar- is the marquee game uh, of all four of them. What do you think about Texans-Ravens? I think they hang around too, Frank. I think, you know, we saw the Rams go in there a month ago and, and threw it around and had some success doing so. I, I think, uh, you know, Stroud's going to be able to throw it. Uh, his offensive line was great last week protecting him. I think he'll be able to stand in there and make plays. But I also think Lamar Jackson's going to make a lot of plays as well. I think it's high scoring. I know the weather could be a little bit bad, but I do think that they absolutely uh, will keep it close. I think they hang around. I think the Ravens will find a way to win it. Would it shock me to see the Texans win? No, absolutely not. What do you think happens in Green Bay, San Fran? I'm calling for the upset. Wow. Green you know, Bay is, on the road. This is one of those years, everything that we think we know, we don't. And we've seen it time and again throughout the season. Team rises, team falls. I mean, think about it. The Eagles, the Cowboys, and, um, and the Dolphins were all riding high about uh, early December. But none of them are playing anymore. You had the you know the Bucks and the Packers and and teams like that trying to barely in Buffalo barely making it in and they're all still playing and I think that's what we're going to see this week. I think the Packers are going to go in there play like a bunch of loose kids. You know, Frank, I'm going to reference 1996 where a team went on the road as yeah. a bunch of loose kids yep. had no business thinking they should beat that team because remember that team went on and won two Super Bowls in a row after that. And they beat the Broncos by playing fearless and loose after they settled in the, in the first quarter. And I think that's what you're going to get from the Packers. All the pressure's on the 49ers. That is true. All the pressure is on them, especially since you know they got super far last year and then Purdy got hurt. All right, so Pete, if you were in a survivor pool for this weekend, which team are you most confident that's going to win? If I was in a survivor pool, I'd probably, I think, Buff, I think uh, Buffalo's going to win, by the way. I think... Uh, Tampa Bay is going to win. So I'd probably say Baltimore. I do think they'll win the game, but it's going to be interesting. But it's going to be – I think all these games have the chance to go, A, a lot of points, and B, last guy who has the ball goes and wins it. I I really believe that. I don't think we're going to – you know, last weekend's games, we saw a lot of blowouts. They weren't very good games other than the Lions and the Rams. I think this week we're going to see – I just hope the weather cooperates because if the weather cooperates, we're going to see – Guys going up and down the field scoring points because I think all these offensive teams are really good. I really do sense that the the Chiefs are that team. They haven't really looked like the Chiefs all year long. Nobody thought they'd be the three seed. 
But boy, oh boy, Pete, they're hard to play when it, they know how to win. There's something about teams that know how to win. I mean, the Jaguars outplayed the the, the Patriots in 17 or in early 18, but in the 17 season for for 50 minutes of that game. But the Patriots knew how to win that game. You know what I mean? Aren't the Chiefs that team that somehow, some way, they always always kind of know how to win? Yeah, and, and Buffalo has had problems, you know, putting them away. 13 right. seconds. We right. can go back to that game. Yep. But yep. this year they did, though, Frank. That's the one thing. And, and granted, it took a goofy play with Kadaris Tony lining up, all, you know, offsides and all that. But they pretty much handled the Chiefs in that game. My real concern with Buffalo is all those injuries on defense. They have so many of them. And, and, and can you hold on? And, and, and can Josh Allen do enough to carry that team? Can the offense do enough to carry that team? But uh, I'm with you. I understand what you're saying. Because the Chiefs haven't looked like the Chiefs all year, but it's playoff time. And Patrick Mahomes usually gets it going. But this is the first time he's playing on the road, though. That's a different animal for anybody who's playing the postseason on the road. Will Belichick be a Falcon? I say yes. Uh, I thought that last week. I think more so now than ever. Um, my only worry about that is, what's he doing for a quarterback? I mean, they they have to have a plan there because this guy's not coaching for five years. So if you draft the guy, how long does it take you to develop him? And, and you know, can they make a bold move if they're picking where they're at? Can they go up and maybe go get one of those quarterbacks? Do they sniff around Justin Fields? Because what they have on their roster right now, he's not. I don't care how good a coach you are, you're not winning consistently with that. So they have to figure out the quarterback position, or maybe they could try and get a veteran. Maybe Kirk Cousins becomes available. You know, they want to, Maybe he's a guy that doesn't go back to Minnesota and he gets out there. So I, I think there's some possibilities, but I think the quarterback position has to be solved, or else it doesn't make sense for Belichick to be there. Who do the Titans hire? That's a tough one. I, I think you know we're going to see some of these. You know, like Ben Johnson's going to get one of the jobs. I, I think Raheem Morris deserves a second chance. I've been a big Raheem guy for a long time, and I thought he was too young the first time around. He'd be the first one. He's actually said that. He wasn't ready for it. I think the next time around he would be ready for it. But I think they're going to try and go offensive. Uh, you know, they got to get somebody that can help develop that quarterback, and I think you got to look at an offensive guy there. Pete, final thing. Uh, who's who's Based on the eight that are playing now, and you have the right to change it next week if it doesn't go the way we think, Who's in the Super Bowl right now? Right now, who's in the game? Buffalo and Green Bay. How about that? Green Bay. Wow. wow. How about that? You, you well, like think about you it. See, if, Green huh? Bay, if Green Bay beats San Francisco this week and Tampa beats Detroit, you know where that championship game oh, is? it's in Lambeau at about no, 12. No, it'll not... be in Tampa. It, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Green Bay's the seven. My bad. Are you wearing you know a, a cheese head, head as you <laughs> talk to us today, Pete? <laughs> What's that? Are you wearing a, a cheese head thing as you no, have this you know conversation with us? Of? It reminds me of when, like, the Giants went on their little run that yeah, one yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the way the NFL is, the hot team. And when you're sitting there and you're waiting, you know, rest versus rust. And I think that team, the Packers haven't had their, their contingent of offensive players all year. Well, they do now. And those guys are all making plays. And Aaron Jones being back there changes the way they play. So I, I, I'm serious. I think the Packers can really go on a run. And by the way, they have two rookie tight ends that actually can catch the football. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen. Here, Pete wants it to be the Bucks and the Packers. He's going to go. Let me see. Can I tell you, he's going to go up there to Tampa and cover it. Casey's going to go with him. They're going to go to one of those little restaurants they used to go to in Channel Side when he lived over there. That, that's the plan, isn't it, Pete? I got this all figured no, out. Yeah, that's no, the plan. I'm, I, I don't even think I go on the road in the playoffs. I'm I'm in the studio yelling at Brady Quinn every Sunday. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean I just think I think the Packers. 
It's too obvious to say it's going to be the 49ers and the, and the Bills or the 49ers and the Ravens or the 49ers and Chiefs, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just too, the, it looks too easy. The league does do that. Yeah. I will say that. The, the league does tend to do that. You've had some huge calls before. Yeah, this is a good one. This and I, th- I think this one would be number one if, it if the Packers go You know what, though? The worst call I've ever had was picking Jacksonville to be the number one. <laughs> <laughs> Not your best moment. Pete Prisco from CBSSports.com. Thank you, Pete. All right, guys, take care. Pete Frisco checking in, talking NFL. Brought to you by Showtime Sports Cards and Collectibles. One more time, that monthly in-store card show is tomorrow from 9 until 4. All kind of vendors, tables everywhere, all kind of great items. Man, if you're a collector, tomorrow's the day to get to Showtime. You know where it is. Corner of Phillips and Shad Road. Uh, find out all about them on all the social channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. More in a moment. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. It's a Big Chief Tire Friday on The Frangie Show. For all of your tires and automotive service needs, it's Big Chief Tire. So um, I'm going to say something and tell me I've lost my mind, and I don't care because I probably have. I don't think Bill Belichick's going to be great at the next stop. I, I, honestly, I, I and he is a phenomenally great coach. The greatest of all time are certainly among them, probably the greatest of all time. And he, and he, and he is, deserves credit for every accomplishment he's had. But I can't just say, well, the reason they were four and thirteen is because he's not a very good personnel guy. Well, being a good personnel guy is part of being the coach. Even if you're not the GM, you always have say. You're always in the conversations. You're always in the draft room. You you have to develop guys. You have to make every head coach has a don't ever think for a minute that head coaches have no say in who a team drafts or signs. That's not accurate. Every head coach, every head coach is involved in the personnel board. That doesn't mean he has a final say. Most don't, but every head coach is very involved in the procurement of players. I don't think Belichick's got it anymore. He, he's, he, he was 4-13. and 13. He's had losing seasons three of his last four. He's had four years to rebuild the Patriots and hasn't been able to do it. Uh, he is 82-98 and 98 without Tom Brady. He is 16 games under. And that's not completely fair because that, that counts games where Brady got hurt and you're not supposed to be good when your guy got hurt. And I know that. But I, I just I, – I, I don't and, – and, and just none of this – takes away from how great he has been. And, hey, I know you feel totally differently, and maybe I'm wrong because I think a lot of people feel the way you do. But I, none of this takes away from his greatness. Don't get me wrong. But I, I, if I had a team, he wouldn't be that high on my list of these guys. that are, He certainly wouldn't be ahead of Jim Harbaugh for me. I mean, to coach today. He certainly wouldn't be ahead of Mike Vrabel for me, although nobody seems to want Vrabel, so maybe he's not going to get a job. Some of the other – he might be ahead of some of the young guys that have never done it. He probably would be ahead of – even as hot as Ben Johnson and some of those guys, he might be ahead of a, he might be ahead of because he's done it before, but I don't think he's going to do be great. I, 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 maybe I'm way off the mark. I don't. Would he be ahead of Billy Napier? Yeah. No, I like Napier. <laughs> I, like, oh. I like Napier. I, I think Napier. I think uh, maybe he can go be his lieutenant. No, I'm kidding. I think <laughs> Belichick's had two number threes on the field at the same time yeah. ever in his yeah. career. <laughs> but, but, but I, I would have him ahead if I had a team. Would, if would I hire? I think Ben Johnson's the next young hot guy. But would I hire Ben Johnson ahead of Bill Belichick? Probably not. I mean, I mean, I mean. So, but I, right. I just, I just don't think he's gonna be great. I, I understand it. You know, I mean, obviously, I remember the end of Shula, 
And, yes, and you yes. know, I was a kid, and and Shula was great struggled ex- down the great stretch. Great example. Great yeah. example. And and there was a lot of talk of has the game passed him by, and I so I I, I certainly understand that. I. I don't think the game has passed Belichick by. I think uh, they lost the greatest player to ever play, and they struggled to replace him. And I, I do think a, a fresh scenery will help Belichick. I, I, Pete's right. I mean, it comes down to are they able to get a quarterback? If it's Desmond Ritter, then Bill Belichick's going to struggle to win more than eight or nine games. I, but I think he goes to Atlanta knowing that it's going to be Justin Fields in a trade, or it's going to be signing Kirk Cousins. I, I honestly think if you told Belichick right now, worst case scenario is you've got Baker Mayfield or Gardner Minshew, I think he would look at it and say, okay, I can win 10 or 11 games. I can win that division with a player like Minshew and in, in, in Mayfield. I mean, and again, I think those aren't – Atlanta going hard after Gardner Minshew and promising him the job would not be a tough sell. I mean, so it's, I think they haven't, I think they have a path that's pretty easy to navigate to upgrading at quarterback. They don't need, I mean, you'd love to have a playmaker obviously at quarterback, but really what the Falcons need is they need a, a guy like Minshew that can just play on schedule and just distribute the ball to where it needs to go with London and Pitts and Bijan and, uh, and so forth. So, I would aim higher. I mean, I, I would try and get Kirk Cousins. I would offer Kirk Cousins $40 million a year if I was Atlanta uh, and, uh, and go from there because then I think they have the potential to, you know, uh, be right there in the uh, NFC title game and, and contending there. But uh, I, I, think, I think it's going to work out for them. I think they're going to fix quarterback and with the weapons Atlanta has and defensively they're not that far off. And I do think he'll, uh, I think he'll upgrade that unit. Uh, and so I, I, I like Belichick. I think he's going to uh, get Shula's record, and I think he's going to have a nice second act. I don't know that it'll be Tom Brady win the Super Bowl right. second act, but I think he's going to uh, do very well at his, is it, it, at his next stop, which does appear like it's going to be Atlanta. What do you think, Lauren? What, what do you, what do you I think it all depends on the quarterback, but what if? Well, well but I mean, but, I mean yeah, what if they get Jaden well, Daniels? Well, what let, if, me, let me stop you. I hear you, but he's responsible. He is. I think he's learned a lot in the last four years, and he probably realizes that his strength is on defense, not necessarily connecting to players. So he's going to focus more on the defense, have a really good offensive coordinator, because he also learned that having defensive coordinators as offensive coordinators doesn't go all that well. I think also having a guy like Bill O'Brien doesn't go well for you in the NFL. So I think he's going to have an offensive coordinator who's young, enthusiastic, relates to players. And if he can get a really good quarterback – Third or not third, but if they were able to move up and get Jaden Daniels, who right now is going third to the Patriots, then I re- think yeah, the Falcons can be successful. And he doesn't have to do this for that long. He's the Falcons aren't hiring him to be the head coach for the next ten years. I think they're hiring him to be the next coach for or the head coach for the next two to three years, and That's then they'll right. figure it out from there. And they hope, like heck, they can get to an NFC Championship game with him at the helm in that time frame. Yeah, and look. I, it sounds like I'm talking about this guy like he's some schlub that's never done this. He's a phenomenally great coach. and You don't just forget stuff. I, I get that. You don't just forget how to be a good coach. But I think there is a fine line. And by the way, where you're going, Jaden Daniels, if Jaden Daniels is going to be great and if he's great early, well, yeah, then whoever the coach is is going to be good. And listen, let me be clear about this. I'm sure D'Amico Ryans is a very good coach. I think he's smart. I think he's tough. I think players respect him. I think he's going to be great. He might be the next Tomlin. But let's be honest. 
They're in the playoffs because they drafted C.J. Stroud, right? I mean, if they if for whatever reason the Panthers had a had a brain, a sliver of a brain, a morsel of a brain, the cerebellum, not even the the cerebrum and the medulla, just the cerebellum, okay? And they drafted C.J. Stroud. All of a sudden, I'm not sure Domingo Ryan is a great coach, right? Yeah. I I know it's 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 absolutely the truth. It it is amazing looking at the Patriot offensive numbers from this past season. So Zeke Elliott, who was completely washed mm-hmm. basically, was their leading receiver. Uh he had 51 catches for a grand total of 313 yards. I mean, that's just vomitous. They're in terms of receiving yardage, their their top guy was Douglas, the kid from here. Uh, and uh, he had 561 yards. Now, he was hurt uh, for, a, for a chunk of the season, but still, and you look at what they did at the quarterback position, the New England Patriots, a quarterback this year, 16 touchdowns, 21 picks, and they were sacked 48 times. So, again, if he can if, – if, even if it's just Gardner Minshew, even if you say, you know what, we're not going to get Cousins. Let, let's just set our sights on Gardner Minshew. If you take Gardner Minshew's stats from this year in Indy and apply them to Atlanta with Belichick and what he can do with the defense, I think they'd win that division. I think they'd win 11 or 12 games. And don't you think those are the conversations, the reason that they're having the second interview is, is going over stuff like that? Like, we want you to be the head coach, but you can't be obviously in control of personnel. And let's talk about the quarterback, who you would want, and who your offensive coordinator would be. But don't you think Bill Belichick is going to be – strongly involved in personnel decisions. Yes. Whether I mean, he's Bill Belichick. He, there's no chance he's going to say, okay, I'll just you just let me know who I have. It doesn't work like the, that. The only thing I could think of is uh, the only way that that won't happen for Bill is if, let's say, Atlanta's really the only team that has shown any interest. Mm-hmm. Well, at that point, it might be he, – he wants the wins record. So I don't think he's going to do anything to sabotage himself uh, by saying, no, I demand personnel control, and then running the risk of losing the job. Now, if there's two or three other teams that haven't really been public yet in their pursuit of Belichick, then maybe he feels like he has some leverage and he can play that game of, no, I want to make every call or I'm not coming. But in this case, because the problem is if Belichick doesn't get a job this cycle, he's not getting a job. I don't think there's anybody with him being gone for a year. I don't think he gets a job next cycle. So it's imperative for Belichick, if he's going to catch Shula, to get one of the jobs that's open in this cycle. And if Atlanta is the only one, he might be willing to, you know, have a general manager that has final say just so he can go after the wins record. And hopefully he's learned he's not that good at that part of it, right? Like, you can say he had Tom Brady all you want, but they landed him in the sixth round and the quarterback before him had to get hurt before Tom Brady went in. Like, that takes a sheer amount of luck. No question about it. We'll take a break. we got some other things to talk about. We'll talk a little hoops coming up in just a bit. Um, college basketball, uh, have the Seminoles found themselves? Uh, are the Gators on, oh, boy, they better win this one watch? Uh, UNF and JU both coming off wins. Let's talk some college hoop after this. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Back to a Big Chief Tire Friday on the Frangie Show. Big Chief Tire. Visit BigChiefService.com. Am I missing something with the song? 
No, it's just it's our weekly legal update on Hollow oh, Notes, I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. What is the update? I have no update. I just, but now I'll have to look. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I've been reminded yeah, of yeah. the fact they hate each other. This thing needs to get fixed. Yeah, I had you. Did haven't you in charge of that? I recommended. I love Hollow Notes. You know, for them to figure it out. I don't think I would have remembered this was Hollow Notes. That's why. Oh. Yeah, I I only know a couple of Hollow Notes songs. This is not my style of music. Let's put it that way. It's Frank, so great. You don't, that, you don't like Hollow Notes? They're okay. It's so great that the Associated Press has a story, and the headline is, What to Know About the Hollow Notes Legal Fight. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, Frank Brady Hayes, Carline, RJ Saunders. I am Lauren Brooks. We're about to talk some college basketball. Thanks again to our friends from Big Chief Tire for making it always a Big Chief Tire Friday here on the Frangie Show. You don't even love Sarah Smile? Not really. It seems like it's Rich Girl? Still Rich Girl's the only one I like. Ongoing, just okay. so we're okay, all up to speed. I'm not surprised. Love Sarah Smile. They really, really dislike each other. Put it that way. Once you start litigation, I feel like the two sides yeah. never then. Once you sue get, each other. Yeah. Once you sue each other. The friendship is probably it's, shot. It's hey. Kind of over. Hey, hey, uh, you're a good buddy. I love being your friend. Um, but I'm gonna sue your ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can you uh, let me yeah. know where you're gonna be in the next few days? Because <laughs> right. we're gonna have to serve you papers. Yeah, that color would. Yeah. I can see how the relationship would disintegrate right. at that point. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever read a story like once they started litigation, the two sides got right. back together. Right. Yeah. Well, right. WrestleMania is right around the corner. <laughs> Maybe Hollow Notes can settle it inside a steel cage. Oates would wear him out. I, I totally even, agree. even though Oates, even though Oates is five two, doesn't matter. He would wear him out. Talking, Short fight. Talking Florida basketball, men's basketball. Florida State beat Miami 84-75 yep. Wednesday night. Next up for FSU, they play host to Clemson tomorrow, tipping off at four o'clock. Have they found their stride, Frank? Well, well they, they, I think they have, Lauren. They play home. They're home against Clemson. Uh, they're at Syracuse on Tuesday, who's not very good. Uh, then they play North Carolina, who beat them earlier. But North Carolina only beat them by eight, Hayes, even when they weren't playing well. The game's in Tallahassee. Then Louisville's not very good. Boston, I, I am shocked. Give Leonard Hamilton credit. You know, they play hard for him. They didn't look like they were very good, but he, he, it's, a, it's a new mix of guys. They've won five in a row. Um I think they're going to win tomorrow. I think they're going to beat Syracuse. I think you're going to look up. They're going to be thirteen and six and seven and one in the league. I'm not sure they beat North Carolina, but they got them at home on a Saturday. Well, they'll have a good crowd. They'll. Uh, this is pretty good stuff from the Knowles, man. It really is. It is, and they're taking advantage of the fact that the ACC is down, and and it just is. There, the ACC has two teams in the top thirty-five when you look at the net rankings. I mean, that's insanely low for a conference that's got the prestige of the ACC. Uh, so they've got two in, in the top 35. The SEC has five. So it's just uh, it's, it's not as difficult. I mean, once you get beyond North Carolina and Duke, there, there really isn't that much depth to it. Clemson actually has the third highest net ranking in the conference, and they're at 40. So, I mean, FSU could absolutely keep this thing going because the ACC just – isn't particularly strong. Now, what it's going to end up meaning for the NCAA tournament is still a, a long road to go. Florida State's like 87th, which is 12th right now in the ACC in that metric. Uh, and so in, in looking at it, you know, but again, you, you keep winning. I mean, that, that number is going to continue to rise. So uh, it will be really interesting to see if they can become the, you know, the, the kind of the, the team that was – left for dead and then rallied and has this incredible comeback. 
FSU is kind of the opposite of UNF when we talk about them loving to shoot the three. FSU wants to score points in the paint, and that is their identity, and they have a bunch of guys they can spread the ball around. They're not going to have the one guy with the you know, 20-plus points. They're each going to have double-digit points. And Baba Miller, I think, is the interesting one to watch. The other night he had 9.8 rebounds. He's the name that we had heard that was going to be this great basketball player, and it's taken a while since he was suspended for a long time last year. I think he's, you know, a key to this mix. Yeah, I do too. He's a he's a great player. He's in a, he's going to be in the NBA, and it did take him a while to find himself. So the so the Knowles playing really well after getting off to a really a tough and, a, and they did not look like a very they lost to South Florida mm-hmm. when they lost four games in a row early in the season. They lost to Georgia by two. They lost to North Carolina on the road. They lost to South Florida, and they lost to SMU. And at that point, and, and oh, by the way, Florida had blown them out. At that point, it didn't look like they were going to be very good. But, uh, I mean, they lost to Lipscomb. The, the thing that's really hurting them in terms of this metric uh, is, the, is, is what you're talking about. The, they're 3-3 three and three in games against quad three opponents. And, again, there's only four quads. So, uh, four is obviously the cupcakes. And FSU was three and zero against the Cupcakes. Quad three are teams that are are very poor at the Division One level, and they were three and three in those games. Now they're better. They're three and one in Quad two games, and they're two and two in Quad one games. So, uh, you know, it, again, it's it's just going to be can they do enough to shake off that uh, that hideous uh, three losses in Quad three games that uh, you know again could doom them if the committee does view the November games. Is with as much weight as they view, you know, the January, February, March games, which it seems like the committee, you know, it can be inconsistent on that. I know they always say that they they try to measure it equally, but again, in a case like FSU's, if they do get hot here and they finish like third in conference, how do you not put them into the tournament? Yeah. Uh, if you finish third in the ACC, no matter you know how many quad three losses they had in you know the the non conference aspect. Meanwhile, the Gators are eleven and six, also uh, same overall record, but they're only one and three in the league. Now they play in a really good league, and they have, again, I'll, I'll defend the Gators in this. Their first four conference games: Kentucky, who's ranked sixth, at Ole Miss, who's ranked, home against Arkansas, and then at Tennessee, who's ranked uh, eighth, I think it is. So, I mean, you play two top ten teams. Both both those teams were sixth when the Gators played them, by the way. So it's a tough schedule, but they've got to go to Missouri. This is a gigantic game for them. If you want to be a tournament team, it's hard to start one and four, man. I mean, this is a – for that reason, Hayes, this is a critically important game for the Gators basketball team as they go to Columbia, Missouri for a game tomorrow night. I think they basically have to have it because uh, you look, there's 14 SEC games left and they're one and three. So they need – I think they need to get to 10 and eight to feel too. really good Same about here. the NCAA tournament. I agree with that. Well, that means they're going to have to go nine and five. In their final 14. So if you lose to Missouri, who is 116 in the net, well, now you need to go 9-4 and in your remaining 13, and you've still got games at Kentucky. Well, that's a loss. You've got a home game against Auburn, which maybe you win, but certainly is a tough game, and you still have to play Alabama twice, who right now is fifth in the net. Yeah. So uh, in, in looking at it, the you, big game. You kind of know in those four games you're probably at best going one and three. So you're running out of real estate here. I mean, you, you've kind of used up a lot of your mulligan. So well, and, and I think it's pretty much a must win for Florida. I agree, Lauren. I think it's a, I think it's the game that they have to win. I mean, really, and here's the other problem. Georgia's better. 
Texas A&M, who you play on the road, is better. LSU just beat Ole Miss, and we're not even talking about those teams. Those, those are those, we're not we're mm-hmm. talking about the more high-profile teams, but there's no easy outs in this league these days. No, and this is Missouri's lineup: senior, graduate, junior, senior, senior. So you're going up against guys that certainly understand what's going to be asked of them. Florida's 0-3 in true road games this season, so that certainly does not bode well for this. But I do think Todd Golden tends to push the right buttons when his team is pressed up against the wall, and I think he knows how incredibly important not just this game but the next three in total are. Look, I I keep saying it. There's certain people that have to step up, and to me, Riley Kugel is one of those people. He cannot turn the ball over as often as he has. That's the thing. Because otherwise, the other people on the team, I think, and Tyrese Samuel has to play well, too. The other ones are going to play well. Yeah, the Kugel, Kugel goes too fast and turns the ball over too much. He plays out of control when not. He's a wonderful player. By the way, Hayes, back to your point about Missouri, I, I guess I didn't realize. Do you realize they've lost seven of eight? Yeah. Their only really their only win in that stretch was Central Arkansas, so they now, now look they they played Alabama tough. They lost to South Carolina in overtime. They only lost to Kentucky by thirteen. So they've been in. I mean, they they played number two Kansas and played them a, a, a one a, a, a seven a nine point game, a single digit loss. So, uh, but but still, Missouri's only six and four at home too, which yeah. is pathetic. Yeah, you got to you got to. I mean, they're eight and nine, and they're zero and four overall. You got to win that one, man. Yeah. You, you, I so mean, style I, points would be nice too, like the way they yeah. beat Arkansas, even yeah. though that was at home. But they, but you got to win this one. I mean, because I will tell you, the next game's Mississippi State, and that looks like a winnable game. But they do not match up well with Mississippi State. They don't. State. Mississippi State's a big physical team. Mississippi, Mississippi State beat Tennessee, and they're thirty third in the net. Yeah. So the met the again the metric. I really like Mississippi State more than the humans do. Yeah, so so I mean this is and that's a hard you know it's a home game and they've been good at home but that's all that's starts all at eight thirty on Wednesday. Show ends at six. Little road trip. Head down to Gainesville. <laughs> doggone right. Head down to Gainesville. You can make it yes, in time. Yes, we can. I might just that might have to be the plan. <laughs> uh, but Mississippi State home game. Uh, the Gators play at home against Mississippi State, which is a really really big game. Uh, no question about that. It'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back. Um, I think Casey's going to join us. I want to talk some Gator football. It's our Woolsey Morecambe National College Football Report. I wonder what – Tate's a positive guy, works on the Gator Network. But I wonder what the feeling in the inside is because the feeling on the outside is not good, right? Absolutely. I'll be interested. So take Casey. They got some big news today, which helps. Yeah. But uh, in terms of adding uh, DeAndre Robinson, the talented four-star defensive tackle. Yeah, which they really who, Got released from his letter of intent to Texas. We'll take a break. Uh, Take Casey joined us. The Woolsey Morecambe National College Football Report is next. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. It's the National College Football Report, brought to you by the law firm of Woolsey Morecambe on The Frangie Show. Hi, right, welcome back to the program. Frank Frangie along with Hayes Carline. Casey does a fantastic job on that Gator radio network, working the sidelines. Kind enough to join us now for a little bit. Tate, how are you, man? Good to talk to you. I'm doing good, man. How are you doing, Frank? We are, we are doing great. Hey, um, let me ask you, that we, we talk about this all the time. From the outside looking in, the sky's been falling for Florida forever. They didn't make a bowl. Uh, the, the recruiting class tumbled. You're on the inside, not just as a broadcaster, but you, you know that program and have for the longest time. What is the feeling inside those walls, Tate? Is it is it not as bad in those walls or inside those walls as people seem to make it feel like it is outside? 
you know, it's kind of funny because as soon as you try and get a pulse on college football these days, you know, whether you're close to a program or not, and from far away, it just seems like everything's in disarray and yeah. chaos. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that it's ever evolving. And I think that being able to adapt is going to be what makes or breaks the program in the next, you know, five to 10 years until something gets roped in and regulated with the NIL and the transfer portal. Uh, you're kind of playing the free agency game. And as much as fans don't want to see that, you know, some fans like the tradition of college football. I, I got a feeling it's here to stay. Um, I, I think to me, though, Frank, when I look at Florida, the product on the field, it's not a lack of talent, right? It, it's really the, the talentless issues or the no talent issues that have cost Florida a lot in the last two years and really three years. When you look back to, to Mullins last year, uh, the culture, uh, I think the weight room culture, and really interested to see with the new hire and the strength and conditioning program, how that, you know, phases out into the spring, into the summer, into two a days, and then into the season, because, you know, championships are won in January, February, March. And I think that Florida's really, really going to be putting in the effort right now. Hey, Tate, it's Hayes Carline. Thanks so much for joining us. How do you think as we get into spring practice and then later this fall, how do you think Billy Napier will handle Graham Mertz and DJ Lagway in terms of snaps? Well, you know, it's interesting because when you look at Graham Murphy, he's a, he's a bona fide starter. He's somebody who's given your program a much-needed boost from a quarterback standpoint. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen it on the defensive side of the football really since 2019 of what you'd expect uh, out, of, out of University of Florida in regards to how you win championships and what gets you to Atlanta. And so, for me, I'm interested to see. I think it's got a lot of that, um, you know, Chris Leak, Tim Tebow vibe to it when you've got a guy coming out of high school who is a, a you know a really really good player he's almost everything he's hyped up to be but you've also got a guy who's put a lot of work in who's a true student of the game and I think somebody who truly cares you know about the University of Florida and moving the needle for this football team so you know I, I love Graham's competitive spirit I think he does a lot of things really really well and I think that there's a lot of things that a guy like DJ Lagway can learn from a vet like that, who's had a ton of starts under his belt. I mean, I think you move into this next season, he's going to be probably in the ballpark of 40, I want to say 40 to 43 starts somewhere in there in in college. So he's one of those guys that you can learn a lot from just in how he conducts himself and and teaching you the ropes of how to become a student of the game. But I also think you've got a guy like DJ Lagway that's got a chance to come in and ignite uh, a team in a couple of different ways. And the good news is, You've got two guys you can rely on. Um, I, I'm anxious to see what that iron sharpens iron mentality looks like, not only at the quarterback position, but in a number of different key position groups. Hey, Casey, with us from the Gator Radio Network uh, on the Wolsey Morecambe National College Football Report. Frank Frangie Hayes Carline with you. Uh, Tate, Billy Napier, you see him all the time. You interview him. What are his strengths and weaknesses as you see it? What is he good at? What is, where has he got to get better? What's your overall thought uh, after watching him for two years there? You know, I think I see a lot of good stuff. I think there's a lot of things that are different from coaches that I've had. Um, and mind you, I think it depends on the player too, right? My perspective yeah. only goes so far. Sure. I think for me, coming out of high school, I, I was fortunate enough to come out of a high school where, you know, you watched film for an hour and a half every day before practice. And, you know, you truly understood what it was to be a student of the game. And you, you had a coach that was fiery and would get after you and, you know, say some not so nice things to get you motivated. 
The one thing I see, and, and I've got appreciation for coaches who do it this way because they do motivate without having to get after somebody. But I will say there's one thing that, I, that I'd love to see Bill and Napier do a little bit more, and that's kind of get animated, mm-hmm. right, towards his players and throughout the game. You know, I think he does a good job of delegating tasks and delegating stuff where it needs to be. Uh, I think he also does a really good job of keeping an even kill because I think there's a lot there. Um, but, I mean, when you come off the heels of Urban Meyer and, you know, Steve Spurrier, Ron Zook, and, and you know, Muschamp, uh, Dan Mullen, you're talking about a lot of emotion uh, throughout the course of a ball game. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that, that love what Billy Napier is trying to do. But I think they're probably thinking the same thing I am. Like, give me something, you know, give me some emotion. Give me some of that, some of that stuff we thrive off of as fans. Yeah, absolutely. Tate, you talked about the defense and it needing to improve. Who are some players that you think can take a big step next year for the Gators? You know, I thought you made me Ellen had a chance to, to really solidify himself as, as a Gator great and be one of those guys that could capitalize on another year and uh, where he was trying to go. I think there's the transfer portal, unfortunately, has created a, a monster where you get guys to have a good year one place and then it's easy to, to get lured away uh, for all the wrong reasons sometimes. But, you know, I look at it, I think Camp Carroll, I think that running back room, you know, you talk about Trey Webb, Camp Carroll, Montreal Johnson. That's a three-headed monster, in my opinion, and he only added to it. I know the loss of uh, uh, ETN was a big one, but at the same time, I thought they did a really good job of replacing what needed to be replaced. Uh, I I think Cam Jackson um, and those guys uh, on the defensive line have a chance to really, really come out this year. And then when you look at the linebacker room, not only the recruits that you pulled in, but the guys that you got coming back. I mean, that and mixed with some of the pickups they've got on the back end. You know, with Bryce Thorne and, and some of the freshmen that you had playing last year and you get Shamar James back, you got a lot of talent. Um, and, and you mix that with Jason Marshall, a guy who probably has underperformed the last two years, deciding to come back. And I think that that is a decision that's the smartest for his future, you know, and, and what he's trying to accomplish. He's got a lot to prove. And, man, if number three is not playing with a chip on his shoulder this year, I'd be very surprised. Okay, you talked about uh, obviously uh, some stars, a very good running back room. Are there enough weapons outside? Trey Wilson's very good, uh, but is there enough to go with him? We heard a lot about Aiden Mizell. Uh, didn't really see him play very much last year. Um, uh, is there is there an, Andy Jean too? Is there enough outside other than Trey Wilson? Yeah, I think there is. I, now, the one caveat to that is you, you got to grow up. Yeah. And it's it's easy to look at a team and, and believe me, you know, coming from a, a seven and five Zook team in two thousand four to a first year Urban Meyer team in two thousand five, it, it really wasn't like I said, it was a no talent issue, a lot of it. Yeah. Right. We had high expectations, but we were low on performance. And I think for us as a team, we had to grow up. And a lot of that was ironed out in the off season, a lot of that with Matt drills and stadiums and all the other stuff. But it was the mentality, it was the mental toughness, it was it was all the things that we were lacking in a discipline standpoint that really hurt us as a team. And I, I think for me personally, if I'm ever talking to guys that maybe didn't play as much as they wanted to, but they've got all the talent in the world, eventually it, it's easy to hit the easy button on pointing a finger at a coach. Um, and I've said this for two years. I think half of Florida's issues can be solved by players taking a hard look at the mirror. You know, I, I think this day and age, athletes have a habit of not getting their way and, and 
just copping out and hitting the transfer portal or, you know, pointing a finger at the coaching staff or something like that. At some point, you got to man up. And, you know, I'm hoping that Aiden Mizell and Andy Gene and some of these young receivers really take a look at Trey Wilson and what he was able to accomplish last year and realize that there's a lot of opportunity to be that guy um, because one guy's not going to get it done. And, and you look at, you know, you lost last year your number one receiver the last two years uh, that, that was a transfer that came in. And, you know, number one did a, a heck of a lot of stuff at Florida in the last two years to try and help that team win. You've got to have somebody step up. So I, I look at that and you combine that with Hayden Hansen and some of the tight end room right now. I mean, they've got a chance to be really, really good on offense and efficient. And a lot of that is just the no talent issues and, you know, understanding the assignments, doing the right things, making sure you're doing your job. Yeah, absolutely. Tate, how do you see the offensive line coming together? Well, I'll tell you, the, the offensive line, I thought last year, they were really, and, and Steve Adazio used to say it all the time, but the, the difference between being ordinary and extraordinary is very, very slim margin. And I think that you've got to have belief, right? You've got to have guys that not only believe in what the coaches are telling, but you've got to find a way to believe in yourself. And, and, and I, I know they're really that close last year, but it only takes shuffling a couple pieces around, and you've got some monsters on the offensive line. And, and that all goes back to me to the offseason program. Um, are they doing the right things in class? Are you doing the right things in the weight room? Are you, know, are you taking care of your nutrition? Are you taking care of your body? You know, that way when you get in season, have you repped it enough in the offseason to where everything comes fast, right? You're not thinking so you can play faster. You're not missing assignments. You know, I think you can look at a handful of plays in almost every loss last year. You can go back and watch about five to ten plays on film that could have been the difference in a big game, right? Could have been a difference in that overtime win in Missouri, right, on defense, a missed assignment here, a missed assignment there. Could have been a difference of, you know, a five-yard gain or a three-yard loss from being a touchdown. And so there's always – and that's true in everything, right? That's not just Florida. I mean, there's a handful of teams that, that see that on film too. But I think it's for, – for our guys, and sometimes our mentality is not necessarily where it needs to be, that's the mentality you got to get to. And I think the off-season program, the mental toughness, and, and really getting yourself prepared throughout the week and the, and the uh, two-a-days, that's where that's really going to come – to tell us what Florida is this next year and how much we've matured. Tate, final question. Um, in your opinion, obviously uh, you know the team better than we do, but we're all kind of in the media, that whole media fan thing. Uh, is he on the hot seat? Is there a certain amount of games you think Billy Napier's got to win? How does that play out? Yeah, you know, it's funny because any other year, I would I would tell you he'd probably have to win eight games to keep his job. I mean, when you look at the schedule this year, right, right. It, it's, a, it's a doozy. Um you know, I, 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 there's there's a lot of dynamic there, right? And Frank, you know this as well as I do. Uh, you know, there's conversation around Scott Strickland. You know, there's there's a lot of conversation around the, you know, the coaching job, the head coaching job, and all the shuffling that's going on right now in college football. To me, uh, I think it depends on how his players play. All right, I think you go out and lose three games by three points or less, and, and some tight battles against Texas on the road, and you know LSU at home, Georgia and Jacksonville then that tells you a little bit different story than maybe getting beat by 30 points by, you know, uh, I don't know, an Arkansas like we did last year or, or a team of less caliber that you're supposed to win games against. You know, I think you go out and win every game you're, you're looked at as supposed to win and you compete or possibly pull off a couple wins, say Texas on the road and 
LSU at home, then I think it's a little bit different story. So I, it's hard to give you a definite answer. I, I look at the schedule and say November is going to be the biggest challenge. But if I'm a player looking at what's in front of you and the opportunity, you got a chance to go play with a chip on your shoulder, and you got a chance to roll into November really with a, a bright outlook for the last month of the year. Tate Casey, great work as always. You hear him right here on our radio station on the Gator Radio Network, former terrific tight end with the Gators as well. Tate, thanks for joining us, man. It's great to catch up with you. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a good one. All right, Tate Casey. Well, he does a good job, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. He does. He does a, Tate does a, he's a really good guy. Does a terrific job on the sidelines with the Gators and, uh, and a great report there. That is the Wolsey Markham National College Football Poll. Take a break. More in a moment. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Back to more of a Big Chief Tire Friday on The Frangie Show. Big Chief Tire. Big Chief Tire with five locations around town. If you need tires, do what I did. Go to Big Chief Tire. You can visit them online, bigchiefservice.com. According to Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, gentlemen, some not great news for, you, for the University of Florida football team. It is under NCAA investigation. The investigation, again, according to Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, has been underway since at least the summer. That's about all we know, uh, but certainly that is not good news. Well, and, and right now when you hear something like that, the range is eternity. It could be a grad assistant gave a prospect a five-minute ride to the restaurant, and the result is going to be um, the grad assistant gets suspended for a day. It also could be a major violation of recruiting violation. Nobody gets TV anymore or, or postseason anymore. But, Hayes, it could be something – if it's something major, you get walloped with scholarships and uh, a, a school that's already struggling to come, come forward is, is in some trouble. The good, thing, the good thing about probation now is they don't wallop you where it hurts like they used to. They used to, they used to wallop you with TV and postseason. I don't, think you were, I don't think we're headed for something like that. But it's the last thing Billy Napier needs when things already haven't gone well. Yeah, I, I've got to think this is related to Jaden Rashada. Uh, that thing was just so ugly in public. And the timing would fit, wouldn't it? Yeah, that it makes sense that the NCAA would look into that and be like, what really happened here? Why did this student athlete believe he was getting $16 million? And, you know, how how did that come about? And it was that done above board, which, you know, obviously there's a chance it was not. And so – yeah, we'll see. I mean, again, that thing was ugly. It's been about a year. It, it to me, it's it's almost has to be around that, and then it's just a question of you know what ends up happening and what does you know Florida have? What does Florida offer in the cooperation aspect of it? And you know what can the NCAA prove? And so I mean, it's it is interesting. If it's severe, then I think it's it's probably curtains for Billy Napier, but it also could be that they don't end up really finding anything. The article doesn't really give you any sort of slant as to the context of how serious it is and where it's going. Again, the NCAA might have open investigations on 30 schools. You just don't, you don't mm -hmm. know. We obviously do know that uh, they went hard after Florida state a couple weeks ago 
Uh, and so, you know, we'll see. Is Florida the next school? Uh, it seems kind of odd that it would be Florida State and then Florida, um, you know, but we'll, we'll obviously we'll see where it goes. The, the, uh, the interesting thing, if you read the story in the Tampa Bay Times, the notice was said in June. Nobody heard about it. The Tampa Bay Times asked for, I guess through the Freedom of Information Act, to see the letter in October. So it's not like it was new to them. The Times has been working the story since at the very least October. But that request was denied initially. Right. And so and so their lawyers got involved. And finally, uh, only today, think about this. The letter went out in June. October is when they finally um, asked for it. And it took January to get it. So who knows what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that the NCAA is looking at the landscape of college football and saying this NIL stuff is not what it was intended for. But what surprises me is that we're not having more of the tampering come to light. Like, there's so many schools that have pointedly said about other schools, we know our student-athletes are being tampered with. And that, to me, seems to be the worst offense of all of these. Like, before a student-athlete goes in the transfer portal, he's getting information and money offered from another school that should never happen that to me is something that i wish we could kind of yeah. eradicate from the sport meanwhile it's a, it, it it could ruin a good day because finally and i don't follow recruiting closely but finally in this transfer recruiting world some good news for the gators right hayes yeah they uh actually got a, a player that just signed with texas was asked to be released from his letter of intent defensive tackle DeAndre Robinson, uh, who is from Orlando, he's a, a four-star prospect. Uh, some services have him inside the top 100 in the nation, uh, but he's a he's a consensus four-star prospect. And obviously, that's a big position to need. We've talked about Florida needing to get much better in the trenches. Uh, so this does that. It does uh, move Florida up to 15th on the 24/7 Sports uh, Team Rankings. So uh, interesting to see what happens there. I know Florida believes that they have a great chance at uh, Jameer Grimsley, uh, who's transferring that would be a big one. from Alabama. So, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see where it goes. It's, it's just uh, amazing that here we have these prospects that just signed literally not even a month ago, and they're on the move. Now, the Alabama kids, you understand, they signed thinking Nick Saban's going to be my coach. He retires. Uh, but I mean, Alabama's really dealing with it. We talked about it yesterday or the day before, and and since uh, either late last night or early this morning, uh, I think it was late last night. Uh, their five-star quarterback uh, signee, yeah. Julian Sayan, yeah, is uh, announced that he's going to go into the portal because wow. he wanted to play for Nick Saban. I so. tell, I mean, I tell you what. Now, the the great thing of having Nick Saban is having Nick Saban. The bad thing about losing Nick Saban is, oh boy, you lost Nick Saban. This has been in mass exodus, the likes of which you never see. Yeah. It's a very unusual paradigm here that all of a sudden all these guys are bailing. Because we've never seen a coach like Saban. That's right. And so, therefore, yeah, all the top players he was able to get, now with the transfer portal the way that it is, I'm not surprised that they're leaving. I don't think it says anything about Kalen DeBoer. I think it just says that they wanted to play for Saban and, and now they're looking to play for someone else. Well, two things. Number one – when they went out and replaced Saban, they didn't go get a Saban guy. They didn't get. They didn't promote. They didn't get someone who knew the recruits. They brought a different guy, a very good coach, but from a different part of the country, uh, who was not going to have a connection to any of these recruits, I, I or even existing players. I am surprised the exodus has been this extreme. Aren't you? 
from Alabama. I mean, I, I am, you lose some players when a coach change, but this thing has been extreme. I mean, it's Alabama. It, it is, but I, I, I understand it. It's you know, it's like that Seinfeld episode where the women think they're going to go see Bed Midler in the play, <laughs> and they find out that it's the understudy. Uh, well, that's sort of what this is with Nick Saban and Caleb DeBoer. I mean, it's if you're a player that just signed with Alabama. You feel like now well, you're getting – I get DeBoer wasn't an in-house hire, but you feel like you're getting kind of the understudy, not the the, the headliner that right. you signed up for. Well, and the other part of that is – I said this on the program yesterday. Alabama doesn't have as robust uh, NIL um, operation because they don't need to. Well, now you do need to, and I have no doubt these players are – I mean, I think Isaiah Bond – probably wasn't getting near the NIL deal that some of the other, other great receivers were getting because he's at Alabama. He's headed to the NFL. Well, now the Saban goes, all right, well, I'll, now I'll go to Texas to get my million and a half, right? Yeah. That's what happened. He went to Texas and got his money. I also think while all of these players at Alabama were being recruited, you had people like Dabo Sweeney or Steve Sarkeesian or Kirby Smart negatively recruit them about Saban not being there while they're in school. Like that was constantly told right. to them in their living rooms. He's not Saban's not going to be there year for your full four years. Not that many of them play four years. And anymore, now it plays but, out. And so the moment that this happens, the back of their minds has already got that in it. Yeah. So now it's like, well yeah, absolutely I should leave and play for the coach who already told me this was going to happen. If it was Davo Sweeney that Alabama had hired, do you think the mass exodus still happens? I think not as much because I think he probably recruited some of those players. I think he and his staff probably knew some of them. Instead, they brought in a coach that didn't know any of them. So I don't know that it would have completely halted it, but probably fewer would have gone. So we'll see. Right, we'll take a break. When we come back, let's, Lauren's going to wrap our show, going to wrap our week with news and notes. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. What's going on in the world? It's time for Frangie Show News and Notes. Here's Lauren Brooks. You know well, I'm a chicken fried. A cold beer on a Friday night. A pair of jeans that fit just right. And a radio That's right, the weekend is near. It is almost upon us. Zach Brown Band sings chicken fries. That means it's quitting time around these parts. All right, one story we did not get to. The Raiders will promote interim coach Antonio Pierce to be head coach. That means Mark Davis actually went with the interim, unlike when Rich Bisaccia was the interim and actually won as well. And Rich Bisaccia, so well-liked by so many people. I'll say this again. You have no idea how close he came to being the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. When Doug Peterson was hired, I'm not saying he finished second, but there was way more likely a chance it was going to be him than it was Byron Leftwich. I can tell you that. I can definitively tell you he was in play. There was a chance it was going to happen. I can also tell you that Hunter Renfro, who played with, with Trevor, called Trevor and said, listen, if you get this guy, you're going to love this guy. You're going to love the way he treats people. You're going to love playing for him. <clears throat> and I will tell you, Rich Passaccia was really in play to get the job here that he didn't wind up getting. And, and I'm glad he didn't because Doug Peterson's been fantastic. So, yeah, I'm, I think what's happening, Lauren, I think this tough-nosed players coach guy – see, for, all, for a while there, all the rage was the offensive coordinator guy and LaFleur and Zach Taylor and Kingsbury. They got all the jobs, right? Those guys got all the jobs. 
Well, now it's turned. So everybody wanted to hire the next uh, McVay. Well, now everybody wants to hire the next Mike Tomlin or John Harbaugh, which is why D'Amico Ryans got hired. Uh, Gerard Mayo got hired. Antonio Pierce gets hired. Uh, I think Mike Vrabel's going to get hired. They're all that linebacker, tough-nosed uh, players guy that'll go through a wall for you. So I think the trend now, hey, Dan Campbell. Yeah, what's that? Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. I think the, the perfect example. So I think the trend is that guy now more than the fancy passing coordinator guy. Yeah, and we'll see if this kickstarts anything with the carousel. Be interested when we are back here on Monday how many of these jobs are are filled, if any of them will be. You still have Atlanta, Carolina, the Chargers, Washington, Tennessee, and Seattle. So still six jobs available. Yeah, it feels like we're still going to be sitting here 48 hours from now, Hayes, and nothing will have changed. Like, it does feel like we'll be here Monday, and there's still going to be – it just feels like it's taking a while, whether it's to your point that the NFL told them to take their time or they're just interviewing everyone. Did you realize that ESPN is an unofficial training ground for future head coaches? Those who left ESPN for coaching jobs include Bill Parcells, Herm Edwards, Kevin O'Connell, Jeff Saturday, and now Antonio Pierce. How about that? I didn't know that. I didn't realize O'Connell did. I didn't, I didn't I either. Remember, I don't remember him being on there at all. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those guys were obviously well right. into their coaching, then mm-hmm. did some media, and then and then went yeah. back. But, okay. uh, yeah, it was. I didn't, rem- I didn't remember that Pierce had done that either. As, uh, I didn't either, ESPN but I saw a picture of him, yeah. and I was like, oh, okay. Right. Must have been a while ago. Uh, we've talked about the games tomorrow a lot. One thing we have not mentioned is that Mark Andrews, the tight end who's so good for the Ravens, will, he has been uh, cleared to play, but he will not play tomorrow. But if the Ravens make the AFC Championship game, it looks like he will be able to play in that due to the ankle injury he suffered a while back. Real important part of their offense. He's almost a security blanket for Lamar Jackson the way Evan Ingram is for Trevor, the guy you can really count on. So he changes their team positively for sure. If you were to guess the two Jaguars rookies that made Bucky Brooks's all-rookie team, who would you guess? I think the first one's fairly obvious. Maybe both. Harrison and... Anton Harrison is correct. Ding, ding, ding. The right tackle. Uh, the other rookie? Yep. One of the rookie Bucky Brooks has on his all-rookie team. Hang on. Rookie, huh? Um, I would say... He's not a rookie. He's not a rookie. <laughs> Do you guys want to hit? No, 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 I don't, I don't want to hit. He's not a rookie. I mean, I guess I'll say Parker Washington, uh, but I mean, it's a... (laughs) Monteric Brown? Nope. The answer is Antonio Johnson. Oh, okay. Bucky Brooks said, like Brian Branch, Johnson spent a lot of time defending the slot, and he had to squeeze him on this roster. (laughs) Then he said, sue me. Uh, But this would be the Bucky Brooks' all-rookie offense. Imagine, by the way, just let yourself imagine if the Jaguars had selected more than just Anton Harrison on the offensive side of the ball that played well. C.J. Stroud, the quarterback. Running backs, Jameer Gibbs and Devon A. Chan. Wide receivers, Puka Nakua, Jordan Addison. Tight end, Sam Laporta. Offensive tackles, of course, Harrison. And then Darnell Wright for the Bears. Uh, Offensive guard Steve Avila, along with Osiris Torrance as an offensive guard. He would have been a great selection also. And then a center, John Michael Schmitz. Pretty good. It's good. I'll tell you this, by the way. I've I've told you guys this before. Bucky and I will go watch games when we're on the road or even here. We we went and watched watched the FSU-Georgia bowl game at uh, Monkeys when he he was here in town because he stays out of the beach uh, when 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 he's in town. Smart man. 
you can't imagine how much this guy knows about football. You talk about a football analyst. You know when you talk, you hear Mark Wise talk basketball. You just he just keeps ta- he just keeps coming out. You know, Bucky Brooks is a really really smart football guy. Listen, I already work with Logman and Maselli, who are fantastic, but Bucky fits right in. Really good football. I'm telling you, really good football guy. Antonio Johnson played 171 defensive snaps. <laughs> That's like 15 percent of the snaps. Right. Was it just like a really bad crop of rookie safeties? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, I thought it was really surprising. I just and he saw him every game. I mean, he saw every. He, yeah. he, he was on the sideline for every game he played. That's uh, the guy. other rookie safety is Jordan Battle for the Bengals, uh, who was drafted in the third round. I mean, there are some. I'll go through the defensive side. There are some really talented rookies on defense. So we all know Will Anderson for the Texans. Uh, along with Byron Young for the Rams, which, by the way, I hadn't watched the Rams closely until the playoff game. Byron Young, and then they also drafted, the Rams did, Kobe Turner at the defensive tackle in the third round. Both of those guys were really good this year. Like, the Rams did a a fairly good job drafting. Uh, Defensive tackle Jalen Carter, no surprise there. And then Vikings linebacker Ivan Pace, Lions linebacker Jack Campbell, the Seahawks cornerback Devon Witherspoon, and Steelers quarterback or cornerback Joey Porter Jr. No surprise there. Brian Branch, who a lot of people wanted for the Jaguars, uh, and then I told you the safeties, and then the special teams. Nobody cares about sorry special teams. But yeah, those those are the two that Bucky Brooks picked. Brad McMurphy just tweeted that the uh, Gators are under NCAA investigation regarding the recruitment of QB Jaden Rashada. Well, you called it. You called. Yeah. You said that. You, you said you thought the Rashada thing would be though, but the you know what figures. I didn't. I didn't. When he when, when you said it, I said, "Huh, that makes sense." Well, now we know it's Rashada. Uh, NFL fun fact: If you like uh, this type of thing, twelve personnel, as y'all know, is a two tight end, one running back, one receiver set, or two receiver set. Right. This regular season, there were one thousand two hundred and seventy-one more twelve personnel snaps in the NFL than the twenty eighteen season. How about, yeah, I mean, that's where it's going. It's number one. It's been. 10 years since we've had normal two back sets, 20 years maybe. Uh, so it's, it's been, it's been 11 personnel, 11 personnel. I would still say is the main thing you see one tight end, one running back and three receivers, but more 12 personnel than I bet if you ranked it 11 personnel, one 12 personnel, two, and I'll bet there's a significant drop off to anything else. Significant. Wouldn't you say I would. And speaking of, I saw, uh, Daniel Jeremiah released his first mock draft today. I saw that. And he had Brock Bowers going 15th to the Colts. It was all I could do to not puke all over my keyboard. Oh, because boy. if Indianapolis is able to get Brock Bowers at 15, I am going to be livid yeah, about that. That'd be no good. I agree. And in his mock draft, Jared Verse, I want to say, went ninth. Very Overall high. to the yeah, Bears. Very high. Top so the 10, Bears yeah. take Caleb Williams and then Jared Verse, which yeah. that's very similar to the Texans yeah, Brock draft. Brock Bowers is roundly considered a top 10 pick. I'd, I'd be very be surprised. shocked if yeah. he fell to 15. He's on. I mean, Kyle Pitts went third. Yeah. I'd be very surprised. If, if Brock Bowers isn't in the top eight or nine, I'd be very surprised. I would be surprised I'd as be well. Surprised, yeah. But DJ knows the stuff. Uh, he had the Jaguars taking a corner out of Toledo with the 17th pick. Which shocked me. To me, they're going to go big person, whether it's offensive I mean, I mean, line. The draft is always affected by free agency. Right. So, it's, so yeah. mock drafts are kind of silly to me until there's been free agency. They're fun, but it's kind of silly to trust them unless it's a quarterback at the top or something like that. But I, uh, I can't imagine that the player procurement phase won't involve an awful lot of interior big people. I really can't. 
Yeah, I tend to agree. It will be interesting to see, like we said, as far as the quarterbacks, how many go teams start to to scramble at that position. Uh, Frank, final thing. What do you think about Josh Hader to the Astros on a five-year, $95 million contract? RJ, you like that one, don't you? RJ was telling me about it earlier. Oh, there you go, No, you're messing up my parade plans, Houston. I I think Josh Hader to the Astros makes a good team better. I think he's very good. I think he – it's interesting that he's been on the market this long. He's a, I don't know if he's the, he's the most dominant closer going. He's the most dominant left-hander, though. The most dominant left-hander reliever with the role of Chapman, Chapman getting old. The most dominant, the most, I say dominant, may not be the best, but the most dominant left-hander reliever in baseball in terms of a guy that can overwhelm it at bat is Josh Hader. All right, time now for today's takeaways. Now, today's takeaways, brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. My takeaway is enjoy a great weekend of NFL football. I like the Ravens, I like the 49ers, I like the Lions, and I like the Chiefs to all advance. Oh, good stuff. I will say, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I don't make... Uh, any plans for this time of the year when it comes to Saturday night, Sunday night, all football? I will take the Texans. I'll take the 49ers. Wow, Texans. Yeah, I'm going to call the upset. I'll take the Texans, the 49ers, and watch them get blown out, like you said earlier. I'll take the Bucks, another upset, uh, and I'll take the Bills. I'll tell you, I'll take the Ravens. I'm probably going to take all the chalk. So, no, I'm not. I'm taking, the, I guess, the Chiefs are the uh, underdog. Ravens, Niners, Lions, Chiefs for me. But I, where you're going with that, Lauren, I, I think the Texans – you and I are the only two that think the Texans hang around in that game. I think they hang around in that game. I, I, I would not be surprised if the Texans beat the Ravens. How about Prisco picking Green I Bay know. to go to the Super Bowl? How about that? Boy, if that comes in, yeah. whew, be a heck of a pick. Well, like he said, he also picked the Jags to, to go to the Super Bowl this year. I will say this. A lot of us had high hopes for that team. Because, because Pete does know his stuff. We all get picks wrong sometimes. But because Pete does know some of us tough, worse than others, it it certainly makes me. It certainly gets my attention. You know, it, it, I mean, I was gonna wa- not like I wasn't watching it anyway. But I mean, it certainly. I, mean, I can't wait for these games. I, I think this is gonna be four really fun games of. Uh, I mean, I I can tell you this: we have a big bunch of us going to dinner tonight, um, and then tomorrow I got a bunch of stuff in the morning. But I, I, golf, golf tomorrow and Sunday. No golf, <laughs> no golf. No, I got I, I got a, I got a Saturday, as you know, I got a Saturday golf group and a Sunday golf group. Who both? I told both of them not no no chance. I'm playing forty degree golf. Forty to four. It's gonna be forty one tomorrow. Forty one yeah. is our tee time. And but there's a frost <laughs> delay in the morning, so it's gonna kick yeah. everybody back for a couple. No I'm chance. Out on all Baloo of will play golf tomorrow. Uh, yeah. probably. Well, before we say hello to him, by the way, uh, he has a great Sports Illustrated wall in yeah. his house that we'll have to ask him about. Say hello, to Rick Baloo. Now the two minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers, equal opportunity employer. So this morning, I was about 8.30 this morning, I was with a friend of mine named Woody Bunch. Mm. We are hanging out this morning. Woody had already been up for six hours. And I said, uh, Woody, are you playing golf tomorrow? He says, hell no, I'm not playing this 40-degree weather, no matter how hard Baloo tries to get me to. That's yeah. what, is that a truth? Can you confirm or deny that? Yeah. He said, Baloo's trying to get me out there, and I yeah. said, I'm not going. Bailey's and uh, Bailey's and coffee. Okay. Can keep a little bit warmer. You can okay. always put the extra 
extra jacket on. I, I told I told Woody, Woody, Woody said I'm not going. I said, Woody, I understand Blue was raised like in Nova Scotia or somewhere. <laughs> they played hockey 12 months a year. It's a little different world for Blue. He lives yeah. a different world than the rest of us do. Maybe Sunday I'm actually going to be uh, uh, attending a uh, celebration of life tomorrow. So I'm yeah. going to a funeral. Uh, Nat Cole, I don't know if you know him. I don't. He, uh, great guy, headed up a tournament. It was the Mead tournament that plays on Wednesday and Saturday, and I, I got in with the Godfather Jim Kane years ago. Mr. Mead passed, the Godfather Jim Kane's passed now. Yeah. Matt Cole has passed, but you would always see him driving around. He, he had like a Jimmy that was probably, you know, like a 1995 Jimmy with all Florida State on it. Okay. And he'd drive around town. It was very noticeable. He's, he did really well, but he always kept that vehicle, and he headed it up, so... His celebration of life tomorrow is at noon, so I'll, I'll uh, uh, go there and uh, pay my respects, and then uh, get ready to watch some uh, NFL football. A lot of football coming up. I know you'll give your predictions tonight on the air, so what else mm. are you doing tonight? What else coming up? I'm going to talk about Sports Illustrated a little bit. I mean, th- this meant so much uh, to us who are older growing up. It's um, it's just incredible what that magazine was about. And it, it wasn't for the meat and potatoes guy. That was the sporting news but this was kind of the casual fan that would come home and flip on ESPN. Back then, it was, it was Sports Illustrated, and they just had phenomenal writers. And, you know, that Sports Illustrated cover really meant something. Yeah, and yeah. it still does to this day. And, you know, I guess I'm not surprised because they basically have been irrelevant. Um, I go to SI.com, and it's kind of clunky. There's, like, yeah. paywalls. It's It just... But it's disappointing to me. And, you know, I had my love and hate, the whole Tandy title deal in 94, you know, burning them at the radio station in Tallahassee and having a big uh, bonfire with all the Sports Illustrated covers and just everything that went into it. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that. All right. All comes up tonight. Thank Rick you. Blue goes into the night. And uh, Rick, uh, certainly like me and many of us, uh, lived on Sports Illustrated uh, pros for all those years. Folks, that'll do it for our program. Rick's next. So don't go anywhere. For Hayes, Lauren, and RJ, I'm Frank Frangie. Have a great weekend. So long.